Welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. Today's show, of course, as always, brought to you by MyPillow.com. Make sure you go to MyPillow.com, punch in promo code TJCS, you get up to 66% of all the items. And it's not just pillows. We're talking Giza sheets. We're talking slippers, robes, towels, blankets, you name it. Again, MyPillow.com, TJCS, to get up to 66% off. All right. Today's show. Our guest, Carmine Cangelosi, he's a writer, director, he's a great actor as well. He made a movie, it's called American Dresser. Right now it's available on Amazon Prime. And the casting is phenomenal. Star-studded cast, Tom Berenger, Keith David, Becky O'Donoghue, Gina Garshon. You name it, you watch this film and you're going to be like, oh my God, I cannot believe how many famous actors, and including... Carmine Cangelosi himself, who does a superb job. So with that being said, let's start the show. All right, welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. We have lots to talk about. I got something going. I got something cooking here. This is the big leagues. It's New York. I said I was in the worst neighborhood, man. I said I had a near-death experience. Crazy? Robert, if you've been through what I've been through in the past month, You'd be, you'd be crazy too. All right, here we are. Carmine Cangelosi, how are you, brother? I'm good. It's I'm great good. having you on. Thank you for having me. So for the people that don't know you, uh-huh. okay, give us a little, maybe five minute synopsis of who you are. Okay, I'm a Long Island guy. Um, Long Island guy. Yeah, you know. I, Deer Park, we were talking before Deer yeah. Park Avenue. Yeah, yeah, I know the area. So I'm, I'm like from Oakdale originally, and uh, you know, I'm from here, and uh, I was uh, just a normal guy and decided to get into film uh, by chance, and it changed things, you know, it changed the course of where I was headed in life. I thought I was going to do other things. After I graduated, I was... Uh, just felt I was going to take the you know the Italian father's contracting business over. Of course, the, the waste management. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's too obvious. Um, yeah, no, it was a gutter and leader business we still have today, uh, my father and I. And um, so I was working the year after I graduated high school. I was seventeen. I was on a roof. A subcontractor had a guy working for him that was probably maybe six, seven years older than me, and. They were talking with my father, and I came down, and they said, hey, maybe you should try some modeling. And I was like, all right, well, I don't think that's going to be too successful. But I tried it. I didn't like it at all. I didn't really get any work from it. And So, uh, so what year is this? This was probably 1989. 1989, 1990, yeah. so, so yeah. to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, listen, to somebody to come up to you and say, hey, you better try modeling, you're already halfway ahead of other people. Well, right. think about that for a second. Let's let's. I let's, never really thought those things. I I never think those things to be honest. Because I I you know, you're your toughest critic. I'm not looking in the mirror saying, "Whoa, I gotta you know." Go, yeah. I can go get some modeling uh, auditions or an agent or something like that. I never thought of that. I was like, "Oh, really?" Okay. Well, what, what were you thinking? Like you know, when you go back to your room and or you're driving in your car at that age, or you're just hanging out. You maybe you're walking home from the stores, you're hanging out with your friends. And you start thinking about, okay, so I'm about to graduate high school. Uh-huh. What am I going to do? Was it strictly father's business or yeah. did you have some dreams? No, I mean, I never really thought about that. I just felt like I was going to take this business over and then, you know, uh, hopefully have the life my father had, you know, meet a, a woman or a girl, uh, 
have a couple kids and take the business over and you know, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, 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 I know what you're you know, saying. Yeah. Live in the house that your father bought. Buy, you know, you eventually buy, buy that house. from him for a cheaper price and you know, all those things that you need to do on Long Island because it's expensive. Um, so yeah, I never really thought about that. So when this was, this was literally the summer after I graduated. So um, I said, all right. So my father and I met this uh, this guy and his father, that I think they lived in St. James or something. The guy's name was Bob Williams, I'll never forget it. Um, and I, you know, he showed me some modeling he was doing, and uh, the son or the guy, the, the son, the son. And my father was talking with the, the father. They weren't, you know, I was maybe seventeen. This guy was maybe twenty-four or something. So he was kind of in the city, kind of out here, contract, and he was like a struggling actor, model, or whatever. Different, uh, different ball game. Yeah. In '89, and in comparison to now, because you oh, know, for then, there's no internet. No, there was nothing. And there's no, really, maybe just emails, if that. I don't even think there was emails. No, there was no emails. Nothing. If I told you the amount of money that I spent on pictures, packages out to every agency, traveling to try and, you know, I'm a very aggressive person. uh, So if I felt like I had to go here, I would do gutters and leaders and whatever money I have, I'd go pay to go do this. and I'd pay to go do that. Same thing. So, you know... um, I went to a couple agencies. One liked me. I never. I don't even know if I even got a modeling job or something. I don't. I don't even remember. It was so long ago. But uh, what I do remember is being in an agency one time, and some heavyset short guy was like, "Hey, listen, you got to lose like five pounds or whatever, or whatever, six pounds, whatever it was. It was less than ten. And I was like, "Okay, I'll try and do that." So I went home, and I actually tried to consciously not drink beer or have wings or hang out with my friends. At 18 years old, good luck. At 18 years old, right, good luck. So I went back and I was going to the gym and I tried it and the guy came back and he like pinched my my love handle and uh, and he was like, you know, you still gotta work on this. And I was like, you know what, I don't even give a shit about this to be honest and I'm never gonna make it with my face. So I realized, you know, what if I'm gonna do this, what's it gonna evolve to? And I said, well, let me try some acting. So I took some acting courses with my cousin, and then I took some with my sister, and then they kind of just, you know. Get into that real quick. Wasn't that thing. A lot of people, uh-huh. you know, they, what you're saying, uh-huh. you know, where you're starting out. I mean, we've all, I've been through it. Yeah. A lot of people starting out who think about getting into acting and, mm-hmm. and wanting to do things. I mean, there's so many people out there that have that dream. Millions. And, and, and yeah, millions that are exactly starting off where you're starting off what you're saying. And I'm sure back in 89, I don't even think it was colored headshots, right? It was black and white yeah, headshots. black and white, yeah. That was it. I came across a couple of old ones recently, you know, and it's funny because I was cleaning some shit out and I came across a couple of pictures. I, You know, I had a stack of them, so I saved one. I just to look back and laugh when I look through my stuff again in another 10 years or whatever. But yeah, everything was black and white. Yeah, you're black right. and white, and you have to mail, you mail in your headshots. It, it was all, so you had to have a mailing list. Oh my God, I, it was- Right, it, it, you had, you my had to do My post office, uh, knew me. Yes. Just because I'm like, here's $100 worth of headshots going to whatever. With my you, resume or whatever right. I'm writing. Yeah. And you never, I never really heard anything back, you know. So when you say that you were doing acting classes, were you doing it here on the island or were you going into the city? I would go into the city. Did you, let me ask you this, and I, this is a bet that I had with my girlfriend last night, so we're watching the movie, of course, okay. and we'll get into that in sure. a little bit. American Dresser. I said, because you know, I was looking at your your IDB, what is it? Um, IMDb. IMDb uh-huh. page, and it says that you were doing method acting. Yeah. I said I I would I would bet. I'd bet my life, my life Whoa, savings. Don't I know, I know, but There's I said that little... I know there is. But this is how I started because okay. I'm I'm just seeing how you were. You know, I'm looking at your your bio and everything. Did you ever take an acting class at HB Studios? I did. 
You didn't? I did. You did? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, Bank Street. Yeah, is it Barron? Is it, is it HB? Oh, wait. Uh, HB Studios. HB. Is that on Long Island? No, no, no. It's in Manhattan, so maybe you didn't then. No, no. HB Studios, I know very- It's on Bank Street in the West Village. Is it still there? It's still there. Yes. I feel like I've, I feel like I went to Wies Baron. Al Pacino was the, he acted H &B, there. H and B. I feel like I, I, I don't know. You know, I feel like I don't Hubert know if I Bergoff, whatever. But they do method acting there. They do. I think, um, like you said, you yeah. Stanislavski. I, 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 I did. I was uh, accepted at what's it called, Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg. The big, the big yes. school. The yeah, big school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Of course. And uh, I don't know. H and B. Maybe I know just from knowing it. I don't know. I, cause I, it was so many years ago. I studied. I haven't studied in a while. But you're going back and forth into the city. Oh, constantly. Constantly, right? Yeah. Taking the train, going uh, in. Want to hear a funny story? Uh, one of the first times I went in for an acting uh, class, me and my sister went in. My sister was coming with me. We drove her car in. And we, you know, I wasn't really in Manhattan too often, so we pull up in front of this place, and I'm like, "Wow, look at this spot right in front! Holy crap, this is perfect!" We park right in front. We go into the acting school. We do our thing. We meet other students. Whatever. We come out. The car's gone. We're like, "The car gets stolen." And it kid. turned out we were in, uh, you know, no parking zone, but we didn't know any better at the time. We were young, so I had to go back in and get it the next day. It's all these little things that you know, these little steps you take to kind of see, do you want to continue to step forward with this? Yes. You know, very easy to be like, you know what? I went in here, I spent money to get the car out, you know, now from being towed, and uh, do I really like this and this and that? And, and, and for the most part, I I don't know, I just kept moving forward with it. You, you know, and again, I, I started that same course because I, I, you know, before the show started, I told you, I, after college, yeah. I got this acting itch back in 98, 99. Mm -hmm. Went to this photographer, her name is Lindsay Dock. Um, out in the West Village. It was the first time that I had to get headshots, black right. and white. And, you know, she's like, okay. You know, and at that time I was working out or whatever. She's like, well, you want to take any pictures with your shirt off? Right. And I'm like, no, I'm right, crazy right. anymore. I'm so embarrassed to just take these pictures in front of you right here, right now. Yeah, Is yeah. that what you're talking about? On the What'd you say? That's the studio you're talking about? HB Studio. Yeah, that's the studio. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've, I studied there for a short period of time. I, stud I studied at a lot of... Uh, places for a short period of time because I always wanted to get a different perspective. Even with uh, Lee Strausberg, it's like I was there only for six months. I was, you know, listening and doing these little exercises they were doing and and then I was gonna, ready to do, like everything's about, you, at least back then was like, hey, you gotta do uh, Tennessee Williams play. You gotta, oh, you gotta of course. do a scene I Tennessee did a, Williams. Yeah, I did a like, couple oh. of them. You know, so then it was like, I was getting ready to do a scene with some, uh, some female student and we rehearsed it a couple of times and whatever and I went to go do it and she didn't show up. And it's then, horrible. So I never did the scene. And then like after six months, I was like, am I going to go sign up for another six months? I'm like, I don't want to be a professional student. It's time to go out there. I, I realized that at the end of the day, you have to get out there. You could have all the training in the world, but if you shit the bed in a, an audition or you're not what they're looking for, no matter how talented you are, very rarely are you casting the Fonz who's written with blonde hair and blue eyes that uh, Gary Marshall wrote him in. And then you go cast Henry Winkler. Very rarely does that happen. They know before you even walk into the you door who they're looking for. Yeah, you have an idea. And I know because I've been on both sides of the table. I mean, I've went to auditions and I've done great and I haven't never heard anything again. You know what people don't realize that who want to get into, and this is something that I want to bring up with you and, uh -huh. and, and you tell me what you think of this. Okay. People don't realize that acting isn't as easy as you may think it is. Oh, right? no, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's a difficult. difficult. It's difficult. First of all, it's difficult to get a job. I mean, if you want to go do some... 
some plays and stuff like that locally, that's good to get your you know your legs underneath you and, and feel confident in the way you sound, the way you project, and the way you look. And because you have to get used to these things. And it's funny when we were watching the intro, and you know you were up here saying you know all the things you have with the intro. I was going to say, have you gotten used to hearing yourself and seeing yourself and those things? You have to get used to those. You things. have to get used to that. You have to right. actually. One of the things it's you funny have to actually put it aside. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because the first time that you actually, when I was taking acting classes, and uh-huh. then it was, I went to William Esper Studio, Bill Esper Studio. It's in Manhattan, and right. you know, one of the you, know, you I did it for two years, like a conservatory. Oh, wow. You do it for two years, and you have to take all different types of classes, and then one of them was film. Mm. That you actually see yourself on film, film right? And I have to tell you, I didn't never saw myself on film before, <laughs> and that was something that I had to actually sit there and say to myself, "This is who you are. Right? That's what you look like. That's what everybody else sees. So either you get used to it or go home. Absolutely. Because if you can't, if this is gonna, you know, bring you down, and you're gonna keep critiquing yourself, because you, like you said before, yeah. you're your worst critic, then this is not the thing for you." Because you're gonna have to just you're gonna have to get through this, and that's very common. I mean, you could talk to people like Johnny Depp or other Val Kilmer and stuff that I've heard and, and, and read articles on, where it's like I don't watch my my work. Yeah, like, they don't, don't even watch it at yeah. all. It's funny. One of the screenings that we did, uh, I'm jumping ahead with American Dresser, was uh, in Syracuse. We had like two, I you know whatever. So long story short is some of the actors didn't stay for the screening because they've seen the film already. And it's like, at first I was like, where are they going? What do you mean? Not? And then I realized, you know, these guys have been doing this stuff for 40 years. They don't always watch what they do, no matter whether it's, you know, me directing them or whether it's Oliver Stone for Tom Berenger or Clint Eastwood for, you know, Jeff Fahey or Keith David, who's in it too, who's, who's just an amazing guy and done a lot of stuff as well. So, you know, it's not really uncommon. It's just something that, you know, you listen to yourself on a voice message on an answering machine. That that could ruin, <laughs> that could your, ruin your whole day yeah. in a heartbeat, yeah. yeah. So, but back to what you're saying with that, yeah, no, you get used to it. Yeah. That's the thing, though. You're getting comfortable with yourself. If you're not comfortable with yourself, being an actor is never oh, going to work. No. So here you are, so you're doing these classes now and you mm-hmm. say, you know what, I'm gonna get out there, I'm gonna start doing auditions, which is a whole nother animal, the Completely. audition process. Well, the cattle calls, absolutely. sitting there, you're going to these different types of spots in Manhattan, mm-hmm. you know, on you know, I remember on Tenth Avenue, 9th Avenue, whatever it may be, these places, and you see everybody sitting there rehearsing, being you know, all you see all the people, you start sizing up this person wants this part. Right. This person's better looking than me. This person, you know, seems more confident. And than look, me. and the big misconception is looks are almost a hindrance at times because when you're looking for something, you're not looking for the best looking girl or the best looking guy for the most part. I mean, the the, the biggest people in Hollywood aren't the best looking people. I mean, yeah, people, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is a good looking guy, and shows Brad Pitt. But, you know, there's Paul Giamatti's, there's uh, Dustin Hoffman's, there's Robert De Niro's, there's, you know, all sorts of actors. Regular guys. Regular you guys, you know. Yeah, you, that, don't, you don't think it like, like that right. while you're doing it. And, you know, Meryl Streep isn't, you know, the best looking woman in the world, but she's, I think, one of the most talented actresses out there. That's just my particular view on her, you know. Uh, she's attractive in her own way. I think that's what people get, mis- uh, the misconception is, is that, well, this person's good looking, so this is good, you know. But the fact of the matter is, when you're on film, if you're a model, that's one thing. You know, it's just your face. It's just a look. It's a snapshot. Uh, but if it's video and it's live and people are talking and listening, you know, some of what, some of what, most of what makes somebody attractive, I think, to anybody in real life or even on film, is who they are all around. You know, what's coming out of their mouth, how they say things, 
you know, I can give my script to five different people. It's going to come out like five different movies. A hundred percent. You know, it's something that you just said right there, right? Mm -hmm. It took me a while to figure this out. So I'm doing this acting just like how you are. Uh-huh. You know, I'm getting rejected. I'm doing, you know, I'm going to this class. I'm doing this class. I'm doing classes at night. Just Have you done film. extra work? Yeah, I, I did some extra that's, work that's too. That's a big thing actors should do. Yeah, what, my first extra job was with these with the guys that are in Practical Jokers. Okay. They yeah. called themselves the Tenderloins back then. Okay. And guy, the guy James Murray, his, they call him Murr, okay. on Impractical Jokers, they did this wedding scene and they needed extras and I was in the chorus okay. singing. And you know, I remember the time I'm watching them. I'm like, oh, this is not who are these guys? This, right. this is so low budget. It's so nothing. But you know what they did? They never quit. That's exactly it. They never quit. And the next thing you know, here I am. I'm going on auditions in Manhattan, and I'm waiting to cross the street in you know, Manhattan there. And a bus goes by, and there is that guy James Murray. On, and Practical Jokers on the bus. And Practical Jokers on Comedy Central, whatever it was. Absolutely, whatever said, show. holy fucking shit, that's the guy. Right. That's them. And it gave me more of an incentive. But my point is what I was trying to say is, is about acting in general too. Mm -hmm. When I first started acting, I was acting. Right. I was, I was this actor. Like I was acting out everything. I was never Joe Cozo. Right. Never Joe Cozo. I was always something else. Until one time, and I'm sure you watched this show, uh, Three's Company. Of course. With Larry. Yes. Right? His name is uh, Richard Klein. Yeah. I take a class with him at night one time. He's the acting teacher. Oh, and really? I was so excited just to see Larry. Uh, Larry was my favorite character right. on, on, on that. And I loved watching that. So I do this, I'm doing this scene with this other girl. We're out to dinner. And in the middle of the scene, he says, stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, well, what's going on here, Joe? He goes, we see this. We, this is, this is. We see this guy every day that you're doing this. This is this is the actor Joe Cozo. Huh. Nobody's ever seen Joe Cozo. Nobody's ever seen you. We don't even know who you are. You're trying to be somebody you're not. Be Joe Cozo in this scene. Yeah. And let that guy come out. How Joe Cozo would sit here and be here and do things. Yeah. And then just like that, then it started to click for me. And I said, "Ah." Oh. Well, that's where you find the authenticity of of some of a role, you know, because like he's basically just telling you, at least from what I'm getting, is like just put all that other bullshit away. Just yeah, just, you're trying too hard. You're trying too hard, and it's funny because when I was doing this in the beginning, uh, somebody would say, you know, um, don't worry about what's on the page, just just go for it. And I'm like, and I would always say like, because I'm always thinking, trying to figure something out of my head, so I got to break. What does that mean? Like, how could I just give them what they want when I don't even know what I'm gonna say, and then it slowly kind of kicked in where it's like, you don't necessarily have to say everything perfect, but if it's the attitude, it's the vibe you're giving. Because you'll always have time to rehearse if they like you, uh, the stuff, you know? But it, 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 you know, it takes time to get to that point. I mean, when I was starting, I'm, I wasn't looking at things as I do today because different things have happened. I went through different, you know, uh, a lot of rejection, you know? Talk to us about the first. So you're going through. You're going through the process. Okay. Here you are. Right now you're knee deep into the acting game, going into Manhattan, mm -hmm. doing things. What was the first? I guess positive sign that hey, you know maybe the first gig that you got. Somebody <laughs> actually said, "Hey, I like this guy Carmine." Well, it's funny. It's funny. It's like any time when I first got into this, I was like, "Oh yeah." model that and like that let's try acting and all these things and your goals are like i want to be rich and famous when you're like 20 21 years old 
if I'm and I would say to myself, if I'm not where I want to be by the time I'm 25, then I'm out. I'm done with this. And then oh, you set a you set a date. Not necessarily in your head. But though, in my thinking. head, I was like, how long am I going to do this for? It wasn't even something I was really thinking about getting into. But I'm getting a little more interested in it, but not to the point where I'm ready to just. This is where I'm headed, and this is what I'm going to go do. And around that time, a friend of mine was moving to California, and I felt like I did some small things. I did some extra work, and um, I don't even know if I did anything. I wasn't even in a union yet, but my friend was moving to California, and I ended up saying, all right, I'm going to move there with you too. And he was from Oakdale, where I'm from, and then these two brothers that I know were from Islip. They they knew my cousin, so we all lived together in Westwood, which is where UCLA campus is. So we had like four Long Island guys. Actually, a fifth guy came and lived in a two-bedroom apartment on Westwood. So you're talking about you moved to California. We moved to California. How old were you at the time? 25. How was that real quick? You know, uh, And why I say that? Because people get stuck in life, right? Uh, yeah. And to make a move, mm-hmm. to do things. Well, they think actually, about it too much. They think about it too much, right? And they don't jump. You know, I listen to a lot of motivational things. I I agree with that, but I think a lot of people thinking about jumping is probably their best bet because sometimes, you know, not everybody's fitted for this suit. You know, it's like everybody wants to jump. Everybody goes, ah, maybe I did it wrong. And maybe the grass is always greener on the other side. It really always is. So you just got to know, I think, as you go through this process, you got to have some, like, you know, come to Jesus moments to say, hey, listen, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm doing. I was able, always able to pay my bills because I had other businesses. I didn't, I never wanted to be um, a bartender or to a waiter or waiter. Yeah. And it's funny because when I moved to California, you know, I saved up some money, but I had to get it some sort of job. And there was a, I mean, I was staying on UCLA campus, so it was fun. But I wasn't even going to school. I was just an actor trying to get into the union and all these things. I got to tell you, the 25 years old, you were talking around what 94, yeah. 95. Yeah. So good looking guy. Well, whatever. It California. Was. And the girls, there's a whole new scene for you there. Come well, on, I've, I've never, UCLA I, campus, walking around with these blondes, walking it, around Cali. It was a lot of fun. Let's just say that. Yeah, it was a okay. lot of fun. yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. what was interesting about it... Um, Scumbag. <laughs> what was interesting about it was when I had to get a job, I couldn't get a job at, uh, at night because everything was booked. Everybody was working at night because they were auditioning during the day. So bartending jobs, uh, you bouncing think, jobs. I didn't even think of that. Right. You're right because everybody is doing the exact same thing you're doing. I could have gotten a job working for a gutter company out there during the day, but then I have to go to an audition and you know, so I, I needed something at night. So one of my uh, roommates was working at this bar. So I was working the door at this place called, I don't even, I can't even think of what it was, but it was right on UCLA campus. So all the student, you know, girls and guys came there and whatever. It was a fun place, but I, I don't like being in a bar to work. You know, I'm sure I could have made a lot of money yeah, as a bartender. I don't want to fun. But I'm just not that person. You know, I know a lot of bartenders and, and they make tons of money and I probably could have made a, a decent amount of money as a bartender if I would have got the opportunity. I personally just don't like being in a bar unless I'm hanging out. I just don't want to be there. So I actually ended up getting a bouncing job, oddly enough, and it was like I'm thinking about a bouncing job like you'd get on Long Island. Like, okay, you work the door. Here's $100 cash. Thank you. Goodbye. Chevy's? See you tomorrow. Chevy's, right. Where, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 of so just someplace like that. But this place, you were on the books. I was making, like, you know, it was almost like I was working at McDonald's. I was coming home with a check with taxes being taken out. I'm like, this sucks. So I just kind of was like, this isn't this isn't my scene. Like, as much as I liked uh, California, at that time, I knew that I didn't want to... Um, feel like I was uh, swimming in the same pool as 99% of the other people out there, which I was. 
but you had to find a way to kind of break through break through and and what broke through for for me and and my roommate uh, a guy named Steve race who's also a Long Islander filmmaker he's living in Los Angeles uh, at that time in the mid 90s or early to mid 90s was like a, a renaissance of independent films you had Ed Burns with Brothers McMullen. You had Clerks with Kevin Smith. You yeah. had Amongst Friends that was filmed in the Clerks Five went through the roof. I mean, you had Blair Witch that went through the roof. That was probably the highest gross. So that in the movie theater, basically right. movie theater. Right, now you couldn't, get away, yeah. you couldn't get away with that now because back then, part of their campaign was like, is this real? If And there was no internet and no stuff to be like, oh, this is bullshit, this yeah. isn't real. But at the time, that was their campaign. Like, did this really the get rumor. found? The rumor. The rumor, exactly. The rumor you know. made the sales go through the roof because Absolutely. there wasn't social media. Absolutely, and you also had guys like uh, good point. You know, guys uh, like Richard Linklater who was making Dazed and Confused, and Quentin was coming out, and you know, there's so many other filmmakers. I mean, Swingers came out; that was a huge film too. So this kind of came out at a weird time, not at a weird time, but at a time where I was like, I don't even know if I want to really act. So, like, fight to get an audition because. There's a lot of actors, but you still have to have people sending you out for auditions. You know, you still have to get in there. You can cattle call your whole day, you know, and maybe out of 50, 100, 200 people, you're going to get picked out of that. But essentially, you want to get some sort of agent that's going to That's the whole thing. Let, let, right. Let, you know, just for people that are trying to get through this and they're watching uh -huh. this interview and they say to themselves, okay, here is someone that has success in acting. How important is that part of it right there, the agent? I think, I think an agent is a big part if you have the right agent. I mean, I think you could have the wrong agent and you get frustrated and it's, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be working as well. To sit back and think an agent's going to turn around and, and make you into what you feel like you deserve to be is, is kind of like uh, not realistic. But is that something at that point in your career at that time, mm -hmm. here you are in California, was that, you know, what, what would you, you know, you're a smart guy. I've talked to you, you know, before the show and I, and I kind of have a feel for you and, and what you are. You're a worker. Like mm -hmm. you said before, you're aggressive. You're a go-getter. So here you are in California, you're not getting too much work, you you know, you're trying to, you know, you're bouncing, but what was the goal? Like, did you have a goal? Was it get an agent or was it just get work? It was just get a, little, a little bit of both. I mean, you know, one hand washes the other. So you always want to get an agent. Actually, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, a producer with Dennis Leary, this guy, Tom Saletti, another uh, one of my friends who's... Um, is out here in New York, was a producer on Rescue Me and some other stuff Dennis has done. And, and he's done his own stuff as well. Dennis Leary, man. He's the best. No, his stand-up is, is hysterical. Best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he, I, I want to say he kind of helped me in a way because I ended up getting a commercial agent. That means I can go out for commercial auditions with a big agency called UTA. Now, by the time that all kind of happened, it was probably the last two months of me living in California because my roommate, Steve Race, uh, and I decided, like, well, everybody's making movies. Why don't we just go make a movie? So we wrote a film. It was called The Beach House, and it was basically Dazed and Confused or Animal House on... Was that 2002, right? Beach House, 2001, 2002? No, it was probably... Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that might have been the years. I don't even remember. Uh, I know we shot in... It seems like 2002 would be yesterday, but that's actually 20 years I know, ago. I, I know. When Is I, that crazy? It's crazy. So he ended up... Uh, he and I ended up writing something, and... Uh, we went home and we made it, and we we pulled together sixty thousand dollars. Hold on, uh, you're jumping here. Listen, to sit there and say ah, we wanted to decide we're going to write a movie, right? And we needed sixty thousand dollars. We got it, so we made it. Talked about the process because the process is really what really to me to sit down. Here you are in California, right? To actually sit down with people mm -hmm. and say we're going to write this movie, this screenplay. 
I mean, that you know, it takes a lot of time out of your life. No, absolutely. But when you're when you're an actor in in Los Angeles, it's not like I'm running a business at this point, or I'm just kind of. This this is what my most important thing is. So what ended up happening is I had never written a script before in my life, and neither did my uh, my co-creator of that film. So what we did was we ended up sitting down. I'd crack open a beer, and we'd talk about all these stories of our mutual friends, and we kind of put all these stories into one Good linear times, story. Good times, man. Right. And, it, t- and they go like this. And they go like that, exactly. So this story was basically like uh, my co-creator w- was, was, pl- was acting in it as well. So the story was... He's leaving for California, and before he leaves, we're going to send him off, and this is what's going on, Memorial Labor Day weekend. And actually, it was kind of like a prequel a little bit. We, when Entourage came out, we were like, oh, it's kind of like the setup to I was going to say that. It sounds like a movie that you've seen. You know, and, and even the guys that did Entourage did Amongst Friends, and they're Long Island guys as well. So um, I don't know them in any way, but so when we went home, I had some money from working all these years before I moved six, seven years. So I put money in for this film. And then uh, one of the other guys got money from his mother and family. And then another guy got money from his family. So it all kind of totaled up to like, you know. 60 grand. Uh, yeah. So we did that. We went home. We shot it. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know when to say action. Before I even get to that point, we still had to get somebody to type the script up. Like we, I told my friend what to write. He wrote it. If he had something to add, he added it because there's 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 actually a format there's to a format. writing yeah. a screenplay, and I and that was the last thing I knew yeah. anything about interior, uh, I didn't exterior, know, yeah. dark. I didn't know anything. I didn't, nothing. I'm not even a huge book reader to be honest, because every time I read, unless it's a bio, because if it's fictional and people think I'm joking when I say this, when I'm reading something fiction, my mind is not on the book no longer. I am looking to cast it. I am looking to. Uh, see where it's going to be located. It could tell you where it's going to be, and I'm already thinking about making making it. So it always becomes distracting in some way. Lately, I've been able to get into some fiction stuff, but you also, you know, my thing is like, there's only so much time in a day, so can, you have to do those things. Can I? Can I? Um, I want to go back a second yeah, yeah. here. So you said that you had saved money. Mm-hmm. Coming from Long Island, not too many kids growing up on Long Island were able to even have that ability to save money. Because, and I'm talking maybe just from my own experience. I didn't have a father figure. I had a father in my life, right? But didn't give a shit about anything that I was doing. Did you have that? Did you have a good father? In your I life? I have the best parents in the world. I'm because you're learning how to save. Yeah, which is something that I was also, somebody had to talk to you about. I was also learning how to like get up out of bed if you went out the night before. You were going to work regardless. It wasn't like, well, I work for a, a, you know somebody else, and like I'm not going to work. And, yeah, Wendy's. Yeah, like I, I did, and then you're like, forget it. I don't care. I don't have to right. go. I was getting up every day. I could have been out till six in the morning. And uh, well, here's a funny story. When I was not to jump ahead. Um, you know, my father and I have become very close. It's almost like, I don't know if you know the comedian Sebastian Maniscalco. Of course, he's the best. Okay, he's great. Come on, how did, how, who are you, come on, stop. Well, I'm just making, What I'm are just, you talking about? Two Italians I don't want to be one of those guys. Here. That's the guy. That's our guy. I, I, I agree with you. That's agree with you. our guy. When he, when he comes out there and he says, I got lasagna <laughs> trays coming in and out and this and that, you know, yeah. I, my girlfriend is, and, and real quick, I don't mean to, yeah, to no, elaborate, it's... my girlfriend is Jewish, but okay. she doesn't send a practice. That's okay. So before I watched Sebastian Maniscalco's skit about going to Seder. Oh, you know, right. His girlfriend. His I actually was... went to a Seder for the first time. Now, here I am, you know, meatballs, antipasta, yeah, yeah. you know, all yeah, this, yeah. you know, when you have Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever it is. <laughs> so she tells me, and this is in the beginning when you really have to do everything. He's nose, nose, mm. you know, and I want you want to have sex tonight. You're going to go to Seder. 
Well, you're a better, Whatever. You're a better guy than me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go to Seder. It was the worst thing that I've ever <laughs> been to. A little parsley bit comes out, little stuff. like it. Just, again, just like Sebastian said, and that's why he's such a genius, how he said, where's the meatballs? Well, he's tapping into things that like I, I feel like what comes in goes out, and if it's good enough, it comes back. And, and Sebastian, to me, is like a new version throwback. And I remember seeing Sebastian Maniscalco in a, a, a movie that Vince Vaughn did. It was like 30 Days, 30 Nights. It's about four comedians. It's, this is like 20 years old, uh, this, this film. I didn't even know that he was yeah. acting then. Yeah, and, and it was him and like three other comedians. And it, you see early Sebastian Maniscalco. So I've always kind of kept an eye on him. Plus a friend of mine that I went to school with, it sounds like all these people that I know are, is like, you know, I know this guy, I know this guy. I don't uh, know many people. I don't know. I don't know about that. You've known, well, you said a lot of guys and a lot of them from New York, and I don't know any of them. Well, and, I'm, and I've been living here my whole entire <laughs> life, so I don't know about that. I guess when you say it, it sounds more whatever, more than something that it really is. Um, but Sebastian's uh, partner on his podcast is a guy named Pete Corielli, who is also a guy that I went to school with. He's a comedian as well. But anyway... Um, so it's funny to think that this guy's a comedian, this guy's a producer, and, and I'm a writer-director, because I think all of us in high school, if we were at the same keg party, would laugh if somebody said that that's what we'd be doing. Yeah, of course. You know, so. Yes. Um, but anyway, getting back to Sebastian Maniscalco, and my family, reason why I brought him up is because uh, there's a skit that he has, and he's like, I didn't meet my father till I was 18 years old. Like, I'm your father. I'm your, you know, like, it's a funny little skit. Like, he, his father was working every day, and that's how my father was. So he was working every day, and I had a good relationship with my father, but not until I graduated and started working with him every day that I become very close. My father's like my best friend. American Dresser is based off an idea he came to me with. So I said, oh, shit, I like this idea. You know, it's a kind of good idea, and I ride motorcycles, he rides motorcycles. And, you know, I didn't want to make Sons of Anarchy that's already been made and successful, and I didn't want to make Easy Rider and... His idea was more of like a an older version of uh, Easy Rider. So, yeah, you know. So I became closer to my father as I went on. I'm very close to him even to this day. But but, but what was the relationship like? Like, well, what was the defining moment that you actually said, "This is my now I can have a relationship, not just um, you know." Well, when you're seeing somebody every day, trust me, it wasn't easy. I mean, it's like a, an older version of me talking to a younger version of him. So we still, you know. Um, I grew up in fear of my father. Oh, I I. I my, I feared my father, you know, like I think all kids should a little bit. Um, never fearful in the sense that my father, I don't think my father ever put his hands on me. No, yeah, you know? no, exactly. But I think it was almost like your father's coming home if you want to be still, you know, jerking around doing stupid things. But I mean, my mother's an unbelievable woman too. She's like your typical Italian mother who just, it's your, it's her family and that's everything. I mean, That's everything. My mother, I mean, I played tons of sports in school and after I graduated in hockey and baseball and, football, and my mother taught me sports. My father never did. That's my, interesting. Yeah, because my mother, it wasn't even an athlete, but my mother would be out there throwing tennis balls with the wiffle ball. and that's Taking just, into practice. Right, and doing all those things. And then I just kind of picked it up. But my father wasn't, you know, uh, he wasn't even home. It wasn't like he was that guy who didn't come home and he went out for happy hour after work. He, my father worked from six in the morning to six at night. He'd be eating food in his work clothes. Somebody would call him, he'd leave, go pick up money, come back. You know, it's just who it's he is. It's a whole different vibe different how animal. it is yeah. to now. Now, it, and I'm not saying that fathers don't do that, but now there's so much of a hands-on approach. When we were growing up, right, we'd yeah. be out forever. Oh, you, I mean. Eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, I right. come home, you know, you have to make sure that you. Be home before the lights, the street lights go off and yes. you go home. And you have to eat, you right. have to, I, I would have to listen to my father whistle. 
he would whistle and then you have to come home for whatever reason yeah, and it yeah. could be good could it could be did, bad right, it didn't matter you didn't just matter right. you'd come home go back to now what you're saying so you spent $60,000 on this on uh -huh. this movie right and you're, and you're trying to get this thing going. Talk to us about that. How, what transpired? So, okay. So what ended up happening now is like, okay, well, we could parlay the movie. Uh, we could parlay to make this movie because we have some money. We have two other friends of ours that are producers on a film. And uh, we went back. We, we left Los Angeles, came to Long Island. Uh, you left L.A. Right, left so you L.A. Went to, so here, this is, this is something else too, though. What about that decision? Well, at that point, I kind of felt like, you know, uh, You didn't think about, like, maybe I'm, I'm failing? No. Not. Or I'm going backwards, I'm going back to where I started? Well, I never really felt that way, because when I left to go make a film that I was going to co-direct and be in and raise the money for, and this was going this on... This is progress. I, I felt like it was progress, especially when the mid-90s to late-90s was all about new filmmakers and new visions and all these things. So in my mind, I'm making clerks or I'm making, you yes. know, whatever. It's just something that could be successful. Uh, and I gave up the uh, commercial agent that was good at UTA, I think it was at the time, and I really didn't give a shit. Like, I didn't care. Like, I, 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 the one thing I don't ever really want to be, and I think maybe that's why I work so hard, is just a number or just another buffalo in the herd. You know, it's just not my thing. I just, I don't like that. So it makes me work harder. But when you were starting to write and starting to get into that aspect, I, of I wasn't it. even writing at that point. I didn't really. You just verbally saying things, right? Right, and my and then my friend would write it out, and then we'd go find somebody that we knew to go type it up, okay. and that's how we got. And then we'd look through it, and we'd fix all the changes, and she'd retype it, and all that. So I didn't even know anything. I really didn't start writing things until after this film because that's when I was like, I'd write a spec script on Seinfeld. I'd write a spec script on. A sh uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Just say or just shows that I liked, you know, and. Then when it was time to write another movie, I felt like, all right, if I want to step my game up from a $60,000 film, and we sold that film for $60,000. We made our money back. Oh, I, you did? I have no idea where it is. And when I tried to show a, a girl, my girlfriend- I, it, lo I tried looking it up on the internet. Yeah, no, so that's why I knew it's, it's 2002. Okay, so you know And the, the only thing that comes up is a, 19, a 2020 or 2019 movie called the exact same movie. It was all those weird things. It was like, the film was actually probably shot in- The uh, Beach House, right? right? That's what it's called? Yeah, The Beach there House. There was a movie that's now in 2019 or 2020 that's called The Beach House. Yeah, that's obviously nothing to do with us. Yes, and I'm like, wait a second, how you know? I'm trying to do my due diligence and look things yeah, up and see that it was. But so, so you make your money back, though. Did you act in it? Did you? I acted. In, I acted in that. I wrote. I was part writer. I was co-director. So I was kind of everything that I did with American Dresser as well. It was almost like, wow, I put my toe into that, and I liked this better than. See, my thing with acting, my biggest problem with acting is not so much acting. I like acting if it's the right role, but a lot of roles that I've auditioned for over the year have been Italian roles, obviously. I've auditioned for The Sopranos. I've auditioned for Boardwalk Empire. I've auditioned for Italian movies. I actually just auditioned for the Pam and Tommy thing that's on oh, a yeah, year with, ago. Oh, yeah, with... What's the comedian? That Andrew the, Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay, but what's the guy that plays Tom? Oh, Seth, uh, well, Seth Rogen. Uh, Seth Rogen's in yes. Right, so I auditioned for that uh, a year ago, you know, on, on you know, with a camera. Hold on a second, hold on, hold on. Not, now not you're, bringing, you're bringing, come on, not, hold on a not second. Not for Tommy Lee. Hold on, I know we're going to jump here, but there's no way that I'm not going to be able to talk about this. No. You're an Italian-American uh -huh. from Long Island. I'm sure your parents were knee-deep, my parents were knee-deep at the time in Sopranos. You get an opportunity to audition for Sopranos. What was the part? What was that like? Oh, I couldn't even tell you the part, honestly. It was so long ago. It was so long ago. But I've what, auditioned but, for so many things. Oh, actually, 
But no, how do you, you got the audition? Well, I had I actually met an agent, which is funny. It's uh, the agency is called Hans Walters, right? And it was one of the only people that got back to me twenty some odd years Hans ago. Hans Walters, right? And it's and it's still th- there today. And uh, the guy there is the agent is a guy named Bill Dewey, who I've no, I met once, but I've known for years. And we have this like back and forth thing. It's almost like something that you could write about. And I'll never forget this. The day I was going to meet him, I was probably right before I was moving to California. Uh, it, was, it was around that time, and it was pouring out, and I was driving into the city, and I was late, and I walked in like a wet rat, and this guy looked at me and said, "You know, what? we don't. You're late. I don't have time for this." Which said, is the worst thing they could possibly do on an audition. Absolutely. It wasn't even. It was just a meeting this agent. Yeah, it wasn't even for a role. Worst thing you can do. So, so it, was, it was actually possibly getting an agent. Sure. So, so he. I don't even know if he remembers this, but I remember it, and I and I just said, "Listen, I just drove in here from wherever I drove in, and blah blah. I'm not going anywhere. So we need to." Let's sit down and have our meeting. So he was nice enough. We had the meeting. And he's, over the years, have su- has submitted me for things. And some things I've gotten. I got a role in Blue Bloods through him and some other things. And did some work on Rescue Me and, and all these things. You know, whatever. Uh, my point being is, like, I don't even know the last time I saw him. Yeah. And I actually told him I was on this show because I like him. But when I was... Uh, going through the process of making the film, he had auditions for me, and I'm like, I can't do it. I have a meeting with so-and-so. And he's like, all right, Carmen, I mean, is this not good enough for you? <laughs> so he was saying, yeah, yeah, I was saying, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, it is, and I'd laugh. And I'm like, it is, it's just that I'm, if you're asking me about an audition for a couple of lines on Law & Order or a, me taking a meeting that's possibly gonna finance my film, there's not much of a choice here. And so you go, should know where you know where that is, and he does. So he's a good guy. So go back now. So so you did this show. You did this movie. Mm-hmm. Sixty thousand dollars. You get your money back, uh-huh. right? What's the next step? What are you thinking now? Well, what this, are you doing? Well, now? at this point, everybody that I made the film with moved back to California, and I didn't. And I said, you know what? I felt like I'd rather just continue to do what the things I want to do here, and to do that, you need to be able to pay your bills. I gotta tell you the truth. That's a little odd to me. I know. Because, I think a lot of people thought that. First was of all, odd. California, the weather, yeah, best, right? Um, you don't look really too much into politics then at all. You know, it's New York, it's California, whatever. It's this two meccas of they're basically the same. Basically the same. same. Thing. It's just different weather, right? Right. But yet your friends are going back, right? And you sit here and you stay, right? What's going through your mind at that time to actually convince yourself that that's not a good deal? I didn't really have to convince myself. I think at that point I was there for about a year and a half, and I was like, I got it. Okay, I, I going to California was an itch that needed to be scratched, and it was scratched. And and I love Los Angeles. I've lived there another time for a year or two. Um, I like California. You know, it's a nice state. It's I mean, obviously, other than the homeless and all that sort of stuff that goes on with those things. But regardless of that, I like California. It's nice. I'm used to it. I, I'm, you know, it's not like I have this bad taste in my mouth. I just knew, like, okay, that part is over. I want to come back and make my own stuff. So then I, after that, I kind of made a short film while I was editing The Beach House. And I made a short film, and it was just because it was it's kept me motivated. And it, oddly enough, it's like where I was editing it, we had to like edit it a couple of times. And again, I was going through this for the first time, so I didn't know editors and I don't know people. It's just so one of the actors in the film, his friend was an editor for Dateline, and uh, he looked at it and he was willing to edit it, but he he worked the midnight shift. So I would drive from Long Island, get to Manhattan, the uh, you know, the NBC building where they do Saturday Night Live, and I would drive there. I'd get there about 12 o'clock, 
We'd sit there. We'd edit for like three or four. Twelve hours. o'clock at night. Yeah, twelve o'clock at night. People see people see people don't realize. Oh yeah, the work that people put into to make something like this happen. You're you're hustling here. Well, I felt like that was the only thing I needed to do. Like I felt like that's how things are going to get done unless you do them. Yes. So, uh, and I will say, every time I drove into that city and I was going over the 59th Street Bridge in there, and I'm seeing this 59th si- Street Bridge because you'd have to pay the toll. Right. Well, of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. And if was, you took everything else, you're paying. Yeah, yeah then I'm paying for that. But, yeah, but it was yeah, actually yeah. a little closer anyway, so it worked out. So it was good on both levels. But when I would drive into that city, and I've told my father this plenty of times. It's crazy that what, you knew that. It's crazy. Because I course. did the same thing. Well, I was broke to... off my ass going into the city. And I had to, I knew that if I don't take the 59th Street Bridge, I don't have to pay the toll. I, I think, uh, this is a Larry David moment, I think if you're rich or you're poor and you have a choice to pay or go free, you're going to go free. You're a big Larry David guy? I love Larry David. Is it, Let me sidebar here. Okay. You like comedy? I love comedy. I was thinking about doing comedy years ago because I love comedians. I remember love. the half hour comedy hour on MTV. I love all that stuff. Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm? Which is, if you had to... Well, if, own- you, if, you, watch, if you watch Curb... And me and my friend, who's the uh, guy, Eric Vinyl, who's the uh, Syracuse Film Commissioner, who's going to be a producer on my, probably on my next film, uh, it's like just constant, like, he'll send me a text, and it's like, uh, no pick, or it's like, just like, it's almost like Seinfeld, Kirby Enthusiasm trivia, just like, you know, keep yes. each other, uh, you know, uh, which we'll call it, on, on point. But I will say, there's a lot of, you could see episodes that Larry wrote that are now episodes of... Curb your enthusiasm. Yes, I, I, He's o- the best. I always love Seinfeld. I think what it is about Curb is that this cursing. And yes, it's just, and it's just, it's just, it's just, a, it's on HBO. It's a different. It's almost like that on a bit of steroids. So I, I don't know. It's tough for me because I, I love both of them. Really, yeah, I can watch he them is, time. he is without a doubt the best in my opinion. And that looking- show with him. What's the, uh, J.B. Smooth? Oh, J.B. Smooth. Changed what, the whole show. Changed the whole, he actually has, a, a, this is the best part, a black guy that's living just off free right. in his house. And the the way that they communicate, when he teaches Larry, no Larry, I'm lamping. Right. I'm lamping. This is lamping. And how Larry <laughs> does it. And you, and you realize that it's not scripted. It's a lot of improv. Oh, absolutely. A lot of improv yeah. that's involved in it. And you, and it's just genius it's it's genius it really is you know what's funny most things that are genius are kind of right there in front of you you know it's like you're overlooking that to go see the other thing because all he really did was take his seinfeld ideas and thoughts and make it in a sense where it's not so scripted yes which is what he didn't really probably like about seinfeld anyway originally when they were you know he was hearing no to things and no to things and and like you got to respect a guy like that i mean i I like a guy who can go out and say, I'm going to go do this. And they go do that. Yes. You know, something, you know, uh, great about that. So, so, so talk to me here now about what you're doing. So you're back here on Long Island. When'd you get your next break? What's the next thing that you do? You sell this for $60,000. You mm-hmm. start writing a short film. Mm-hmm. You have this guy, you're going to Rockefeller Center, whatever it is yeah. that you're doing at 12 o'clock at night, right? What's the next thing that you do that makes you think, okay, I'm moving in the right direction? Well, I felt like every time I'd get frustrated, something would like something would happen to keep. Any time that I that I'd say would be fleeting, but every time I would say like, "Why am I doing this? I don't even need to do this. I have other investments. I don't need to deal with this shit. I could just do other things." Something would come in. I'd land a role on Blue Bloods, or I'd land a role on Kirby Enthusiasm. 
You had Kirby Enthusiast? I'm sorry, not Kirby Enthusiast. Uh, rescue Me. Rescue Me. Or something like that. Or, you know. I, I don't, I, you know, I just want to talk about this only because this is something that would be great if when I was acting, if I got a role, say, in Blue Bloods or something like that. Talk to us about getting a role. Talk to us about someone saying, I like what you're doing. I like who you are. I like you to be on this show. And Blue Bloods is a huge show. Yeah, Cute. yeah. Who was the guy? Was Ricky Schroeder on there at that time? Like, what was the... No, um, I actually worked with Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie, uh, exactly. He, there he, you he, go, Donnie Wahlberg. He was a scene. He, I, I didn't meet uh, um, Magnum. Um, what, what's his name? Yeah, I, I can't believe I... I know you're talking about. I love about. him, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I, love, I, love, I, love, I love Quigley Down Under as well. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe I'm having a brain fart. But anyway, so that was my scene. I was a bad guy trolling online people to kill them. And I went in for the read, and I was like, all right, I'm going to just go for it because I kind of got a sense of it. You know, a lot of times you get these things, and like I said, most of the th- everything I've ever landed is not an Italian role. It's a bartender. It's killer. It's uh, I, I did a couple of soaps, you know, when they were on. You didn't even give yourself a role in American Dresser as an Italian. I didn't even know. No, they, no it was just straight. It was just a regular role. Yeah, just a regular role. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand what and you're I didn't, And I didn't, like, you know, people say, like, why don't you just become the lead of the film? I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to talk to you about that when we get to it. But okay. before we get to that, so tell me about Blue Bloods. Here you are, a kid from well, Long let, Island. Let me, let me tell you this. So before I even get to that, so when I was, and this is coming this is getting back to what we were saying earlier about having drive to go do something. So I would go in every, like, as many nights as I could, go into the city to go edit this film, The Beach House. And every time I was driving over the 59th Street Bridge, I just had like this, I don't know what would come over me. It would be at night, all the, everything would be lit up, the city would be lit up, and I would say there's billions and trillions of dollars being generated through the city. There's no reason why I can't make a couple of million. And that's what I would always say every time I went. Now, whether I've made a couple of million, that hasn't happened, but... It just, for some reason, that would always be like a weird thing that I would think of. I don't know why. And then I would go edit to like 5.30 in the morning. And then I would drive home, take my clothes off that I wore to go edit. I'd put on my contracting clothes and I'd go go do contracting all day long. And then I would crash that night. And I wouldn't sleep. I'd sleep maybe. I wouldn't even sleep, you know. So you really have to – I'm not saying you have to do it that way. But you have to have those ways of thinking like, okay, so I have a full-time job. I have to make time for this. I have to go here. I have to make that happen. Is this a priority? You know, and and everybody sees it that way. They just see if you're a filmmaker or you're an actor or you're in this business or even what you do, your show is the same thing. You're living below sea level. Everybody else is seeing the tip of the iceberg. And that's all they really should see. They don't need to see anything else. But you are living below sea level until you have a premiere or you have a guest on your show or whatever it is. And that's the thing that people don't understand. And they necessarily shouldn't have to even understand. They just want to be entertained, which I don't blame them. I I, I want to be entertained too. Yeah. My acting teacher, Bill Esper, late Bill Esper, he said a great quote to me one time. Well, great quote to us when we're all there. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's, he's just talking to all the actors that are trying to make it. He says, what people don't understand is they think everyone is this this overnight success. That doesn't exist. But it doesn't exist because every overnight success, there's five to 10 years of grinding it out that they have no idea. And it's just that one time that that person then finally 
gets discovered or gets the role. Yeah. But it's not that, that he didn't just walk in there or she just didn't walk in there. It's all the auditions, the cattle calls, the driving, the, the train rides on the LIIR, the $60,000 that, who, who knows? This is my life savings. I don't know if I'm right. going to get that back. Absolutely. But nobody sees that. So you're so so right about yeah. that. that and, and it also comes down to like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be an actor or do you want to go be uh, somebody on the Jersey Shore? You know what I'm saying? Like, you can go do reality TV. I had people say to me all the time, you should go on this show. It's a reality show. And I would say no. And Why? It, Why no? Because I'm not interested in playing. Uh, I'm not interested. Uh, reality shows are, are the most produced shows there are on TV. They really are. Because it's kind of like they're casting, okay, this guy is the sweet guy. This guy is the, you know, the guy who hangs out, tries to hit on all the chicks. And this girl uh, is high maintenance. This one's low maintenance. This one's this. This one's that. She's black. She's white. She's Whatever it is, they're putting a pool of people together that cause, that stir up some shit. So now you as the producer, and it's the cheapest thing to make because you're not paying these people. They're not actors. They're reality people. So they're just being them. Yeah, they're just being them. Yeah. And you produ- and you go, oh, wow, we got all this stuff. Let's edit this. And we'll, give, we'll take a look from the other day and make it a look from this comment that this guy said. So it's a, it's a whole different thing. But the reason, what you asked me originally was, wh- why not that? It's like, I'm not interested in uh, being famous. I'm interested in entertaining other people. So if you're entertained by and doing reality. doing great work. Well, right, exactly. Like I, I, To me, if I made a million dollars, if somebody said, you can make a million dollars or Martin Scorsese or Quentin Tarantino come up to you and go, wow, I love the beach house. I don't really give a shit about a million dollars, to be honest, because... You, you know, love I, the praise of I don't wow. even. It's not even so much the praise. I want to work with these people. You know, it's not even. I don't need a pat but, but, on my but, shoulder. But it's not that you need a pat on your shoulder. But you know, coming from say a Martin Scorsese, hey, you did great work. I enjoyed your. If, right? if, if somebody said, and I'll tell you, when we get into American Dresser, I got some nice things that I heard from the actors, which were were things that, like, you think certain things along the way are going to be the things that you really gravitate to, but actually going to the movie. Uh, American dresser with my mother who wanted me to go see it in the theater and I'm like I don't want to go sit in the theater and watch myself I've watched this film a million times but I would do anything for my mother so I went and sat in there with her in the back and we watched and she I could see her face and she's excited and that's everything to me you know because I'm close to my family but when the movie opened up and the previews were like uh, what was the the Bradley Cooper movie where he's singing with Lady Gaga What I can't think of the movie Whatever. It was a Bradley Cooper movie. It was a that song, All I think is that song that they sang right, together or whatever. Right. So it was like the previews for, for my film were a Bradley Cooper movie, a Mark Wahlberg movie, and The Mule by Clint Eastwood. So that's what I took notice out of the screen. I wasn't watching myself on film. I'm like, oh, you know, I, I'm not thinking that. I'm actually thinking a million other things. I don't even look at myself as if that's me there. I feel like I'm looking at another actor. Because otherwise, when I'm editing, editing this film, I'm not editing it correctly. I'm not editing it like I would edit Tom Berenger or whoever else, you know. I want to be fair, you know. So it's I look at it differently. It's just not even I'm not even thinking about like, hey, you're the man or you're this or you do I I'm just too busy trying in my mind to want to entertain people and give them their money's worth, quite frankly, because everything's you know expensive. You're, you're talking about all these these are famous actors that you're talking about that you had on this in this movie and we're gonna get into this in a second mm-hmm. here. 
How did you get to the point that you were able to do this? You're in Blue Bloods. That's a big thing for me, you know, in my opinion. It was a nice, it was a nice, nice. It was a one day job. It was nice. You know, and, and what's the other one that you said that you were uh, in? Rescue Me. Rescue but, you Me. Know, that you're and in? then I did some soaps and stuff. No, I mean, it's it was nothing. Everything was a day player. It wasn't like I was, a, you know, a three part arc on the show or I was a, a recurring a, role. A recurring role. You know, it was almost like just I came in, did my job, and I was out. So. So did it get to a point that you said, hey, listen, you know, I, I'm getting these spot jobs here. I'm not working consistently like how I'd like to work as a working actor. Mm -hmm. I don't have this reoccurring role, like say in Curb or whatever right. it is that you have this one actor that you know, season four, you got work for the next whole year. Mm -hmm. You're in it. And who knows? You might even come back. Is that what made you start saying to yourself, hey... If I'm not going to be able to be casted in these reoccurring roles, let me create something. Let me do something. In a sense, I mean, I, I guess that's one way of looking at it. The way I looked at it was, I didn't. I'm. I'm so. You know, the way I was brought up is like my mother's always working. I mean, she didn't have a uh, a job once my father had. You know, me and my sister. So, but her job was house. You know, all that. So she was, a, you know, a great mom and all that. So she doesn't stop working to this day. My father still doesn't need to work still wants to come and work and, and do things. So that's how I look at things. So to me, when I wasn't auditioning, I felt like I wasn't working, even though it really wasn't my fault, because there's a lot of intangibles. It's that Italian you to, in you. Right, it, there's a lot of intangibles. Right, that, that, that have to happen for you to get an audition. Somebody that you don't know needs to get something written, uh, financed, uh, be able to cast it, you're right for something that they wrote. There's a lot of intangibles for you to actually walk through that door to either hear a yes or a no, you know? And my thing was like, well, I don't want to wait on all that. So I decided to learn how to be a writer, to really write. And well, uh, what do you do with that? So when somebody says, so I learned to be a writer. Well, what I right? did what, was, uh, well, what I did was I bought a, a DVD called uh, Sid Fields that somebody said you should buy a DVD. Sid Fields, Sid yeah, Fields. you heard of it? Of course. Okay, so I bought this DVD. I put it in, cracked open a beer, watched the DVD. They broke it down, very simple. They took, they showed you famous movies that you know, like Shawshank Redemption. It's this long, in this this many pages, you need to accomplish this in the first act. The second act is this, where everything's coming to a head. The third act is where everything kind of all, you know, figures itself out. So once I was able to look at it from a like you know very technical standpoint, now it's a matter of me just continuing to do it and become better at it doing it even today i'm not the greatest writer but i know how i like to write you know so take us to that moment with your father so now your father you have so, this relationship with your dad and all of a sudden he has this idea yeah well so, a lot of people had ideas after i made my first film and, and it wasn't you know uh i tell those people all the time ideas are the easiest they're they're, they're easy there's ideas every day i could come up with an idea to uh, about your show to make a movie but now it's like that always happens at the bottom of the mountain now you have to take that idea and carry it all the way top to the top of the mountain, and that's hard to do. Is it torture for you to actually, or you know, a lot of people say this because that's where the work is. Then now you're working. Oh, I love it. You love, I love sitting down. I love the challenge. I, I mean, my girlfriend and my family and my friends know. Like, I mean, I got to a point when after I made my beach movie that uh, you know it would be over the summer, and my roommates at the time would be like, "Yeah, uh, we're gonna go over to Fire Island. We're gonna you know whatever, hang out." And I'd be like, "I'm good. I'm good. I'm gonna stay home." It'd be like Fourth of July weekend on a Friday or a Saturday, and I'm like, "I'm good." And I'd stay home all weekend, have a couple of beers, and I'd write. And I, I know where that is. I've done that enough. 
you know, chased those girls, you whatever. seen that crowd, you know, heard that song, right. you drank that beer, right. you were there. And, 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 and if I want to go back there a, a weekend later that I don't feel motivated to write, then I'll go there. It's there, you know? So I always just felt like this was something I wanted to do. And the thing about writing was I always feel employed. I never feel like I'm not working because I am working. And I would say this, you know, my films aren't going to get made without me giving 100% to them. So even if you're not making an actual paycheck, right. you're working towards hopefully a paycheck. Absolutely. That's Good what it all is. Yeah, it. yeah. I don't look at it like, I mean, I'm not getting paid to write at this point, but I do it because I love it. And I know that if I can get this where I want to get it, I can go make another film. You it's know? a great way of looking at it. Yeah. So, so, so talk to us about this process. Okay. How does American Dresser come to life? Well, what happened was after I made my first film and we sold it, and it wasn't, you know, like I said, we made our money back. It was just a humongous experience. It was basically like my film school. I never went to any film schools or anything like that. And, uh, you know, everybody was like, I got an idea. You got to talk to this guy at work, and you got to talk to this person. I got this crazy guy I work with and this girlfriend of mine and all this sort of bullshit that I'd keep getting. And it wasn't bullshit. I mean, they were decent ideas, but... I'm not Stephen King where I can go, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to go blow out a nice novel on it right yeah, now. Exactly. You know, So I had to kind of just sit back and think what I wanted to do next. Stephen King's great. Big liberal. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, at least I don't even... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big liberal. You, you, go ahead. You'll never leave your house if you start breaking shit down like that. You'll never listen to anybody anymore, you know, music. That's so, so true. So you got to just... Put, I put that shit aside. Um, but anyway, so what I ended up doing, I was working with my father. We were in a work truck together and we talking about some shit and he's like hey I got this idea for a movie and I tell the story before and I said uh, oh fuck right, what's your idea and he's like well it's about these three guys they're on a motorcycle and blah 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 and he starts breaking it down but his idea was more of like a, a Harley commercial where these three guys get together and they go cross country and they, they have all this fun and it's great okay I like that I like the idea of that so Something that I really haven't seen. Right. I mean, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, and it's an adult version of Easy Rider, I guess. It's kind of how I saw it. And he's like, you want to write it together? I was like, oh, absolutely not. We'll kill each other. What are you <laughs> yeah, nuts? Yeah, what are you, are you crazy in mind? So, so I said, my father's not a writer either. My father's, you know, as you get older, you learn more of your, about your family. But I, I, my father's an incredible guy. So is my mother. Uh, my sister's a, a, a badass, too. But uh, my father, I said to him, I said, listen, write, uh, write this stuff down in any form you can, script, book, whatever. I don't, just write it down so I know. I can't sit there and listen to you all day and take notes. It's not going to work that way. So to his credit, he did that. And he wrote like a 20-page book, script, whatever it was, you know, comments, whatever it was. So I looked at it, and I got what he was doing. So then I took that, and I made it a 40-page movie. And then I made it an 80-page movie. Then I made it a 120-page movie. Then I made it a 110-page movie. Then I made a 90-page movie. So you just, all these drafts you get through. So then finally, I got to a point where I liked it. And I said, okay, well, now I want to get some people. I got to get some money attached. And as it turned out, my sister's, one of her best friends, ex-husband, heard that I was trying to get this. She asked me one night, uh, what are you doing with the film? And I said, oh, I'm going to try and get the Kurt Russell and this and that and so she must have went back and told her ex-husband, uh, who I never knew at the time. And uh, for, he, for a guy that doesn't know anyone, you know a lot of well, people. I, I got to tell you right I now. Was, I was. It seems uh, that way, but yeah. it's, it's, it, you know, it, it took a long time. I started writing American Dresser in 2002. That's I didn't, a long time. Ago. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't start shooting it until 2015. Think about that. So that's a long time, you know. Yes. And I got to the point where I, I mean, I'd be in the diner with my father, like I gotta, I gotta make this film. I gotta became a uh, obsession, obs a, obsession in a way, you know. And, uh, but I liked it. It was like a great challenge. Like, what the fuck? Why not? 
Why yes. not? You know? And I had people along the way going, all right, well, I can make it for 100000 I can make it for 200000 I'm like, I already did a small film. I'm not doing that. And then they would ask me, like, well, I can get you money. Um, you know, would you want it directed or would you rather direct it or be in it? I'm like, I knew that if I said one of those things, they would, like, use that to try and stop me from doing both. So I said, I'm doing both. Right well, off the bat. But if you had to choose, I don't have to choose. And that's what I tell people. And the good thing about it was I wasn't in a place financially where I needed to listen to somebody with a bad idea who had money. I, my bills are paid. My bills have always been paid. So, yes. you know, I don't have debt. So much of a luxury not have to be. Well, it's a, it's a good bargaining position to be in because, I, you know, I would tell these people, like, I make as much as you do. Why are you telling me what I need to do? You just read this for the first time. What, what, so talk to me about the process. What's your, what's your go-to? Do you go to? You, you said you sit down with beer, you know, and you drink a couple of beer. First of all, what kind of beer do you like? I, it depends, uh, you know, whatever. I don't normally drink too much when I'm, I mean, I would drink more coffee than anything, you know? Yeah. What's your coffee? How do you like your coffee? Uh, well, it depends. If I'm going to drink five cups a day, I'll drink some decaf. <laughs> if I'm going to drink, if I'm going to drink two, then I'll drink, you know, something, you know, that's a little more. But, more but what do you do? Do you do it at your house? I or? do it in my house. And really? th- what I'll do sometimes is I'll go take my car and go drive to Texas State Park and park in a parking lot with my laptop just to get out of you know, out of my house because it becomes a little mundane after a while. You know, you can only go in the shower to kind of create things. You know, because I go into the shower, you think, you take drives to think. <laughs> my girlfriend, it's funny that you say that. She goes, Who are you talking to? Oh my God. My girlfriend must be in there. Who are you talking to? What are you talking about? Because that's what I do. The shower is the best. That's where I, that's what all. It's funny that you say that. So here you are. So you a lot of people do that. Aaron Sorkin, I was watching some famous writer, did West Wing, uh, did the Facebook movie, just did Lucy and Ricky or whatever it was. Uh, he was. I was watching something on him. He's like, I'm in the shower seven times a day sometimes. <laughs> I know. It's, 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 it's very crazy. Similar. You realize where we are isn't much different and for, far from where they are. Yes. It's just a little, it's a little, it's a little break. It's a little m- movement in another direction that... You what is it though? Forward. What is it? What is it? That's from- a little bit of luck, but I think luck comes from hard work. I'm a firm believer. Of yes, that. I, I think you create the luck. Yeah, I mean, uh, me being healthy uh, is is lucky. You know, my parents had a child, and I'm healthy, thank God, and all that stuff. That's luck. But getting lucky in this business, it's tough because people, there are people either working along you, alongside you, or above you, that are working to get where they want to go. And and then their mind, they're the underdog. So whether you think that person above you has got something going on, they do. But they're trying to get to the next level too. So they almost don't, in a way, don't want to help fully because then it may uh, hurt what they're trying to do. They'll help you a little bit if it helps them. You know, if you can make a lot of money, then that's a different story. But you know, everybody's very cautious. Where me, I don't give a fuck. Like at this point, like when I made American Dresser, I reached out to the actors, uh, two or three actors that I knew was still acting and busting their ass to be an American dresser. I tracked them down. I didn't need to do that. So that, it's funny that you say that. And that's, let, let's get into American dresser here now. First of all, the, the title. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to get the title? And what does the title mean to you? The, the title was there from day one. My father had this title forever. And basically American dresser is, a dresser is a, a bagger. It's, it's, a, it's a touring bike. A dresser is an old term for riders of that. You know, you see these guys on these big bikes going cross country with all these... These, uh, the hogs or whatever uh, it may be. You know, all these, these these things and these compartments and all these things. A dresser is another word for a bagger, which is a travel bike. And uh, that was always there. And, and every step of the way, people wanted to change it. And I was like, 
No. Okay. No, yeah, I, I gotta tell you, I didn't know what that was until you just said that, and I tried yeah. looking it up too. So I was like, well, where is he getting this from? What is yeah. American dressing? I didn't, when come, I, first... I, I didn't come up with it. I, I, it was like I said, it was it was part of the idea my father came. Yeah, but out. now it's genius. Now it's perfect. Well, now it's when like, you describe it, right? Well, that's what it is. I, I I like that people ask what that is. You know, even the actors probably didn't know what it was at the time, and I explained it to a couple of them. So. When you started writing this, mm -hmm. right, and you got some, uh, listen, one of the things, so I watched, I, like I said, we watched it last night, my girlfriend. Great, I appreciate that. Yeah, and you know, I bought Spread it. Spread the word. And I bought it. <laughs> oh, good, and, Yeah, 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 So I, and, uh, on Amazon Prime. So Perfect. I, I couldn't believe, right off the bat, I mean, you have some top-notch actors in it. And we're not talking, you know, just run-of-the-mill. We're talking people that were in Platoon. Yeah. You know, you know Be Berenger right there him himself. Great, love him. I loved him growing up. Yeah. You know, there was so many. There's so many actors. My question to you is: is when you were writing, when you're sitting down writing mm -hmm. this, did you already foresee who was going to play these characters yes. and who you wanted, and how much of that came to reality? I would say one person I wrote for, I got in the film. Everybody else was different people. The one person that I got was the guy that I had the bar fight with. His name is Andrew Baronsky. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was in uh, a bunch of movies. He was in Batman 2, uh, uh, ba uh, Batman 2 with Michelle Pfeiffer. He was in some other things. Very talented. Big dude, big dude. Yeah. A very talented guy. I always liked him. He has like a presence, you know. It's cra he's a crazy guy, but a good crazy. We've had some fun at the Rainbow Room after we shot. You know, he's a nut job, but he's, he's a good nut job. Anyway, uh, he was the only guy that I wrote with in mind that I got. Like, Tom, I, I, I mean, I'm when you're writing, you're thinking about the biggest people. I mean, I'm thinking about Kevin Costner playing this role. You know, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Wes Studi uh, from Dances with Wolves, the bad Indian in Dances with Wolves, of to, play, to play uh, Charlie Wild Horse. It was Charlie Wild Horse at, at one point. It wasn't Charlie Wild. And uh, and as it all shook out, we actually had another actor uh, interested in playing the lead, a guy named Stephen Lang, who was in, um, he's in Breathe, Don't Breathe, or Don't Breathe 2, and uh, he's in Avatar, he was the bad guy in Avatar. Talented, hmm. talented actor, love the guy. He was, you yeah, talk I, about the guy with the scars on his face? Yes, that guy that was in Avatar. Yes, yes. yes. But I'm saying he had the scars on his yes, face, right? The yes. uh, the general, right? The general. Yeah, yeah. Good actor. So, so he's a great actor. Super talented. Big yeah. fan of him. And uh, we had him interested, and I met with him and his agent. They were really polite and nice people, and we thought we were going. And I had some money, and then one of the eight, one of the the, the investors at the time just pulled out. I, well, let's 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 get into the 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 real meat and potatoes okay. of making this happen because yep. I'm really interested in this, and I think people who have aspirations of acting and aspirations of making movies to actually see and actually learn about how this all comes. Now, you are, you're in Blue Bloods, you're, you're there, you're doing things. You know, it sounds but, more impressive than it really is, to be honest. You know, when you think about it, when you're saying all these things, it sounds impressive, but when you're going day to day and you're trying to, you know, get another step forward, and step forward in the direction you want to go in, it's but difficult. that's because you're in it. You're in it, and, and I'm looking at from, like, say, a good year. But this blend. is also many years, too. Yes. This isn't like, you know, a five-year span. This is, you're talking about, I start, I, I, I scratched the surface of this um, at 17, and then the bullshit modeling went to some acting, and then acting turned into me moving, and then uh, moving and making a film, and then a little bit more acting, and then, and then writing this thing. And, like, when I wrote American Dresser, I was like, I wanted to get Billy Joel involved. I was like, I got to get this guy involved. He was like my white whale. I'm like, he's Long Island. He's 
a bike guy, and I couldn't get him. I was he was like my white whale, and he's not even a film guy, but I just wanted him involved. But how do you do? How do you start? So now uh-huh. you write this film, right? Right, and you get the screenplay; it's all done. Whatever. What's the next step for there? So people to to really understand. Try and get money. That's what happens. You you get to a script. You get your script to a spot where you feel it's good, good enough to get because it's always going to change. There's going to be actors coming in saying, "I got this idea, and I had that idea, and that's fine." Um, a lot of ego involved. A lot there, of though, ego, right? but and you, a lot of ego that you need less of for you. Well, you know, to adjust. Is, to me, being a director isn't that hard because, and not that it's not hard. I don't mean it, communicating with actors isn't hard for me because when you run a business, you're dealing with all, especially a contracting business. You're dealing with the richest of the rich, the poorest of the poor. You're a GC. Yeah, you're dealing with all sorts of personalities. Uh, everybody, everybody, all over Long Island. Doesn't matter. So to me, I treat everybody the same. You're either a good, hardworking person, or I don't really have much time, you know, for some bi- person with bad intentions and yeah. all that shit. So I treat people the way I want to be treated. And when we were going to cast this film, I said to my casting agent, listen, I don't give a shit who it is. I'm not dealing with some diva that won't get out of the trailer. I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. And there was an actor that we were going to get, and I won't mention his name, that they said this person may not come out of the trailer. I said, well, that's not good because... Uh, I'm a Long Island contractor where I'll either take I'll take my drill and I'll take the door off the off the hinges where they got no door on their trailer or I'll drill them in and they won't come out and I don't want to think about those things if the Long Island contractor comes out on a set because somebody's uh, you know sandwiches and warm you know I, I'm not dealing things with that you it. don't want to have to deal with that's 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 we're all adults here you I'm going to treat you like an adult I'm going to give you the space to be the best you can be but with that being said I expect same respect back to me. And I think that goes by the way you handle yourself. It so all starts ha- at the top. So how do you do it then? So you have the script, you have so the I have screenplay, the script, and I, now what do you do from there? Who okay. do you go and reach out to? Who do you talk to? So you start trying to get actors involved with no money. And, you know, for the most part, that doesn't really work because they want to know, is this film a go? Is this not a go? Who's going on? You know. How much is it, you know, and, and, and just to, to cut you off here, and yeah. just so I know, because I, 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 I read about this. I think I saw this actually on Entourage, right? You know? Probably about, pretty close. About when they were trying to pitch scripts, and you remember the main character, he's always reading scripts. He's always getting scripts from the Long Island kid. E. E, yeah, yeah. he's always Kevin, getting scripts. Kevin yeah. Connolly. Yeah, 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 I know, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he's, he's always nice trying guy. to get scripts. And and one of the questions I remember, and I, and I it just hit something at the time, was like, who else is in it? Because if I know right. that Robert De Niro's in it, well, well no. then maybe I'll do it. Well, that's the thing. It, it's almost in any business, but especially that business. Nobody wants to be the first one to jump into the pool. So you have to kind of, in a way, be a salesman, be like, okay, well, this person's kind of interested, and we got this person kind of interested. So it's like you have everything, but you really don't have much. Who was the first actor that actually now stars in American dresser that you actually... Well, we knew we had to get the lead for us. So once uh, Stephen Lang, it, uh, what happened was Stephen Lang came aboard and then I met him and then I went to the film markets in California to try and pitch it. And I literally pitched this thing to two hotel rooms full of people at the film market in Los Angeles. And, you know, they I wasn't getting the response that I wanted. And I was very comfortable pitching this because I could, like I said, I could talk to people. I was hearing people trying to pitch their projects scared. I'm like, these people don't, you can go to film school and learn how to film, but you you have to know how to talk to people. Because essentially, whether the script is The Godfather or whether it's American Dresser or The Beach House or whatever it is, they're investing in you. That's just ink on a page. 
it's hopefully the best ink that they read on a page, but they're investing in you. So they, you have to know that, you know. Um, so we had Stephen Lang involved, and then I, 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 we, I got a financer, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if the financer, I don't know, got some knowledge on film, and he was like, Stephen Lang isn't going to be good for distributors. And that's not good to hear because I think the guy's super talented, but I kind of get a distributor's point of view because it's almost like if you say Stephen Lang and you go, oh, who's the guy? And you kind of have to describe it a little bit. Uh, or you say Tom Berenger, and not that Tom's any worse or less or whatever. I I think actually they're friends. Um, it's almost, two different ballgames. It's a popular. It's a popularity contest. It's what it comes down. But to. But now do you have? So you have. So now Tom. All right. So let me. But when you have the first guy. So then, so then he. So then the film gets. So then, but then the investor pulls out, and then I lose him. Okay. And and it's like holy shit, where am I going? Do you now? lose him to the point? Yeah. Just so you give us some inside information here, like as a gossip whore that I am here. Okay. Do you have to talk to the actor and say, hey, listen, what's going on? Do you ever communicate oh, with him? I, I did a little bit. I did a little bit. And I told him uh, that I'm going to go get another investor and, you know, let's let's go make – I'm going to make this movie with you. I was determined to make it with it. And when I brought another investor in, a producer, I said, we got to make it with him. And he was like, well, maybe. And I'm like, no, you don't stand my word, everything. And then as it turned out, when we – You don't understand. I'm Italian. Right. I come from Oak right. Island. Island. Right. My word is my bond. And this is all I got. Right. You know. I'm not, you know, yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah, you, know, you know, saying something and not meaning it is not really the type of person of I am. Course. So, uh, you know, uh, we ended up getting money and – I went back to him, and he, he, his agent either passed because he was busy or just passed. So I said, okay, well, then let's move on. Then I felt like I did what I needed to do at that point. You know, he needed what he needed to do. How's your mental at that point? How is your mentality? Here I am, you know, so you, you go I'm into always a thinking, roller coaster. I'm always thinking I'm going to conquer whatever I have to do. It's great to have that kind of oh, that kind I don't of, know how it's always, I don't, you know, it wanes at moments. But essentially, you know, you go out for a beer with your friend. You bullshit about it a little bit. You know, and I actually try and put things in perspective. My my niece is like, as like I mentioned to you off the air, is severely autistic. So when I'd have a shitty day and I go see my niece and she walks in with a giant smile on her face and I'm hugging her and I'm watching TV, I'm like, who cares if this guy doesn't want to be in this? Right, I just don't care. Like, it's great perspective. I'll figure it out. You know, I'll figure it out. Uh, there's worse people making a living at this. So you know, when I watch a great movie. I'm like, wow, I want to do that. I want to make something that makes people feel the way I just felt about this. Or if I watch a piece of shit movie and I go, wow, I can make something better than that. So there's always different moments of things that motivate you. You know, I'm always trying to find something that motivates me. I'll take a deep dive into a band that I like and I'll and I'll be all over that for three or four months and they're motivating me and they're helping me write and I'm playing their music and then I'm done and then I'm done with that band. I love the band. I still listen to them in the moment, but I don't listen to them obsessively. That, you know, well, give me some. Give me, what, what, what? Well, it would be the Eagles. It would be, uh, you know, uh, Dylan. It would be the Stones. I mean, I love the Stones. They're my favorite. Yeah. I mean, to me, Stones and Clint is kind of, Clint Eastwood is kind of the road I like to walk down. You know, there's longevity there. They always got that badass edge, yes. know, no matter how old they are. And they've been doing it for so long. And, and longevity only comes with you being good for a while. You know, it's the truth. So I always kind of like go down that road. But what happened with, with American Dresser? So this actor dropped out. And then uh, I ended up meeting uh, my sister's friend's ex-husband. He wanted to invest. He invested. It's like, great. I don't even know if he read the script, but I think he just wanted to invest, you know? Sounds and, good to me. Yeah, it was great. Let's roll. So now I had some money uh, where I could say, listen, I, I got a decent chunk of money. And now it's a different conversation. And like I said, I always wanted to get to Billy Joel, 
just to have him involved in the film or something like that, and I couldn't get him involved in any way. And then it turned out that. But when you say you couldn't get him involved in any way, I couldn't I mean, even get I, out from Long Island. I couldn't, even get, Long Island, I couldn't right? even get in touch with him. When I went through heartbreak, my first heartbreak, and <laughs> okay, when I'm and I'm talking around 16, 17 years old, I converted my parents' basement into my room. Okay, completely. Did they know vacant. this? Yeah. Well, they just said, you know, he's not sleeping in his bed anymore. He's down on that couch with the, with, with the concrete floor down right. there with the telephone that could reach all the way to the couch. Yeah. And I would listen to Billy Joel every single That's night. Great. You know, and it would just get me through my heartache, my right. heartbreak, whatever it would be, right? So you sitting here saying that I'm trying to reach out to Billy Joel, and then I can't let you just walk away well, from that. You gotta say, did you talk to him? Did you have some type of communications? Well, How close were you? Oh, I got to know him. Yes. He's actually, really? Yeah, yeah. I got to know You're him. You better. Come on. Let's so, go. Let's so go. what happened was as some of the bullshit. As, as talk to me about Billy Joel. As well, how is, is he? I'm, he's a great guy. He really is just a sweetheart of a guy. He was very nice to me. Treated me great. Um, what happened was, as it turned out, a friend of my father and I, who's a boat mechanic and a motorcycle mechanic for these Royal Enfield motorcycles, a sp specific type, um, he was working for Billy Joel fixing his bikes. So we were like, oh shit! I'd love to get this script to him. We got him the script. Fixing bikes. Right. Uh, got him the script. And everything that's kind of happened to get American Dress made always seemed like it was something from a blue-collar, contracting, helpful way. It wasn't something from the industry because they're just not looking down. The industry's not really looking down. They're always looking up. So to me, I was below whatever I, wherever I wanted to go. Um, long and short of it, he must have read the script. Uh, I went over to Billy's house uh, on the North Shore uh, and met him. It was crazy. One of my birthdays, I didn't tell him it was my birthday, it was talking with him about the film, and I left him like, what a great birthday, you know? Um, How was that, though? Coming from Long Island, here you are. It was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, you're blue-collar, you know, yeah. from uh, as uh, to a point that you're blue-collar. Yeah. I'm always blue-collar. Uh, yeah, and you know, you're growing up listening to Billy Joel. I mean, I'm listening to Billy Joel. I still listen to Billy Joel. We drive, whatever, you know, Billy Joel, come on. What was the feeling like? You know, and, and, and you met people, you're, you're on Blue Bloods, you met some people, so I'm not, I'm not saying that you're starstruck, right. I'm not looking to get to that point. I don't think I'd ever be starstruck, yeah, to be honest. I, yeah, and I wouldn't be either, right. and, I, and, and I understand that. But still, the fact that where you came from to now you are having a meeting with Billy Joel, it says a lot about a person. It says a lot about what you've gone through. California trying to make it happen, security guard, you're doing roofing, you're having conversations with your father, you're sitting down, all that hard work writing American Dresser. I never think about it until I like there's a conversation to be had like this. Well, I, really, well, I just don't. Okay, well, know? here's the conversation. <laughs> so here true. we are. Yeah, yeah. How is that? You, how is the drive to Billy Joel's house? Stop with the bullshit. Well, it's, fun, it's, for me. it's funny. It's funny. Just give me the goods. It's funny because when I went to his house and I... You know, I'm pulling up to this house's gate and everything like that. And I hit the button. He's like, I'm like, it's car mine. He's like, all right, no problem. Opens it up. I'm like, was that him letting him, letting me oh, in? Yeah, exactly. Like, was that know. the butler? Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what his situation is. And I pulled up and he was like the most normal person in the world. He really was. He was, he actually was so laid back. He actually reminds me of my, my uncle, my mother's brother, my uncle Alex. Uh, they kind of looked the same a little bit. They had the same mannerisms. So I liked him. You know, I, I liked him off the bat just because he seemed like a down-to-earth guy. So, yeah, we, so we, so when I met Billy, he was in a different part of his life. Like he was married to somebody else. He wasn't doing these concerts. You know, he was kind of like, I guess, just in a different part of his life. So he had some time. 
And, you know, he was like, I really don't know anything about, you know, um, film, but if I could help you, like, so he sent me out, you know, uh, I sent the package of this film out to Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B, said Billy. You know, it was a little different. He allowed me to, to, to send it out a little bit at first, you know. Um, so it was like, instead of being like, Carmine Cangelosi project on the subject, I'd be like, Billy Joel, Carmine Cangelosi project, you know. And it, you know, and they'd get back to me. Gary Marshall got back to me in past. Uh, Brad Pitt's people got back to me in past. So he basically so, allowed you to at least put his name to the, right, to the project. And I, and I had some money. so but, Which is which is very... Which was very good. Yeah, I thought it would be, you know, wrapped up and ready to go in two seconds. But... Um, then people started asking me, like, was he going to do, if he does uh, original song for this, uh, I'll give you the money now. And I'm like, he's he's not doing original music for this. Like, if I wanted to get the film made and lied to a, an investor, I, I if I was a different person, I could have probably had this film made two, two years, the latest, after I met Billy Joel. But I would never do that because I considered him a friend. So anytime somebody would keep pushing that in front of me. But you're not a liar either. I'm not a liar either. Yeah, like, not, that's not your guy. That's yeah. not your gig. It's almost, like a, it's almost like you're telling me that if I do this, you're going to give me that. No, thanks. Goodbye. Because I can't bring, I can't guarantee that I anyway. Would, I wouldn't even, I, that wasn't happening. It was never yes. happening, you know. But Billy was nice enough. We shot a, a little promo video in his uh, in his shop. I think it's on YouTube somewhere. And uh, he was nice enough to do that, you know. And he was just a really, really Eric, giving. Can you see if you could grab that? Yeah, all right. And, Let's uh, see if you can grab that. And uh, he was just really, just a really nice guy. I felt like I was just talking to a friend. You know, we got lunch a couple of times. You know, um, but then all of a sudden, like I started getting busier with the film. He's, he, I think he got remarried, and then he started doing this stuff. So like, we really hadn't talked in a long time. So, you know, his friendship is what I felt like I got out of it more than anything. It wasn't like he so much m- m- took the film from A to Z, you know? He was like, hey, if I can help, let me know, you know? It's a learning lesson, too. Yeah, it was a learning lesson. It's bu- and it's building building where you're trying to I mean, I to. think the world of the guy, I think he's I think he's a, I mean, obviously, as a fan of his music, I like him, but I just like the way he handles himself, and, like, he's a normal guy. We, I was actually at one of his houses out east, uh, I think in... Um, one of his houses, I love it. I don't even know. I don't even know the house. Uh, it was out east of something. Uh, Oyster, not Oyster Bay. Oyster Bay is this other one. Um, it was on a Sag Harbor. Sag Harbor. I was going right, to say that. Right. That's it was in Sag Harbor. So he has a very modest house, and it's like right on the main road. And I, again, I don't, I'm not hanging out with Billy Joel every day. It doesn't happen. So we happened to be there, and we were talking about the project. And he was great to even just sit there and talk to me about the project, you know, about motorcycles. He actually... Went and bought a motorcycle, a Goldwing. He's like, hey, I bought something when I was in, in uh, another state. He's like, you think it would be good for the movie? And I looked at it. And it was a foreign, you know, it was a Honda. So I'm like, it's American dress. We need American bikes. But I took the bike for a spin. He took the bike for a spin. Like, he was really just a good, nice guy, you know. And one time when we were in his shop uh, that he had at the house, he has a shop in Oyster Bay now with all the bikes. It's, it's awesome. You should go take a peek at it. Um but he ended up uh, having all his some of his bikes out in Sag Harbor. And when we were bullshitting about whatever, a couple walked in because his door was open, walked in with their kid on a stroller and thought it was a motorcycle museum. Now, Billy's got a hat on, you know, and they're like, uh, and he's like, hey, kids. And he goes, oh, excuse me. And they're like, oh, is this, we didn't know this was somebody's house. We thought it was a museum. He's like, oh, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. So we let the people walk around. Me and him were at the other end, and then they left. They didn't even know it was Billy Joel. It's crazy. And it's just that's who, who he that's is. That's the type of guy know? he is. You know. So then, how did that go? How did that then fall apart? Basically. Well, it didn't really. It never really fall apart. Part, just the way the thing evolved. Just, the way everything evolved it was like he started getting busier in life. And is I, this it? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Let's play it. Let's see what we got here. Look at this, Billy Joel. There he is. He's 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 the man. I think 
My affinity for motorcycles goes back to when I was a kid. If anybody remembers the first time they rode a bicycle and they realized the independence that it gave them, the mobility it gave them, it opened up a whole world. I think people that are interested in the motorcycle industry enjoy things within it, whether it's uh, buying t-shirts for uncles and aunts when they're away and they you know, can buy things that have motorcycles on them or you know, they tone a bike week. These are just one of many things that they enjoy doing. Man's man, the father, a husband, you know, we're just out there trying to do the right thing in life for his family and himself and just to better the world that his loved ones live in. And uh, unfortunately, you know, as you get older in life, you, you think you have a, an idea of how your life's gonna go with, you know, based on what you've lived already. And uh, most times it doesn't go the way you like, and it doesn't go that way for John, and he's devastated when, his, uh, when he loses his wife. When that demographic gets changed, he's kind of somewhere in the middle now, and he's, he's a little lost, and he needs to find himself, and he uh, takes to the open road. I love some, uh, good that advice you from his daughter. that this is... I, I gotta tell Most... you, I, I love that that's even out there. How was it that you got him to do that? Did you have to ask him, hey, listen, can we do a little promo or anything? I, I, I don't remember how it went down. I mean, it obviously wasn't his idea. It was my yeah, idea. Of course. But I think it was one of those things like, hey, man, I think I, I tried to use this as a selling tool for, for investors. And that's that's what I'm saying. These are, the, these are the really kind things that he was able to do for the film, you know, to see this and then say you have a little bit of money. It's almost like... Even with a team of people, it's tough to get them film made. But for an independent filmmaker, which is what I like to consider myself and will, will always like to be, because uh, you can make your own films, then you're not getting inundated with all this, well, I gave you all this money, so you got to do this. And you get that with investors. But with studios, it's different. But, you know, he allowed me to kind of show people this, which was great. And and, and that's and that's what's – those are the things that I remember about him. You know, I, I'm sure – if we ran into each other, we'd say hello, but it wasn't, you know. Yeah, I know. He, not, he did yeah. the best it could yes. for me, which was great. I, 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 Everything he's done, it was more than I ever could imagine. So get let, let's get to the main character now, then. Okay. All right, so how do you get Berenger on board? So now uh, now that we have some financing, and we uh, we have two investors now, and, uh, and now it's time to go get a lead actor. So before you start casting anything else, you need to get the leads, because then, like we were saying before, nobody wants to be the first one in the pool. But the lead actor may want to be the first one in the pool if he likes the project because he's the lead. Yeah, and he gets the first bite at the apple. Right. So we, we went to a couple of actors. They passed, you know, for whatever reasons, whether it wasn't that type of material or they were working or whatever it was. And then it... Um, what is the... And listen, if you don't want to tell me, that's no, fine. I, I don't care. But this is just somebody from the outside trying to figure out, okay, here we go, right? You're making a movie. You have a lead. You're looking for big-time actors. It's not like you're looking for... You're not putting an ad on Craigslist no. for the lead. No. You're, you know, here you are. And I'm sure that you have some money. I saw, you know, I did my own research. I saw that. What? You know, and I could be <laughs> wrong. Close to almost $2 million to produce the movie. It, was, it could be wrong. Whatever. It's a little wrong. It's a little higher than it is. I think that some of the producers wanted to show it's at that budget because if you go get more money, you don't want to, you know, you want to keep. Whatever. Right. $2 million is $2 million. So it's not, I'm not, it's, we're not talking about $10,000 no, here. No, no, no. You know. So you have this, how do you, you know, approach an actor for a lead and what is, the, you know, that's the most money and you know that that's going to be the most money that you're going to have to spend on the actor. That's mm -hmm. the lead thing. How do you go about doing that and making sure that you're not undercutting because you're looking for great actors here? Right. 
How do you do that? How do you come up with a number? And whether or not you want to see the number or not is your business, and I'm not going to press you on that, but how do you come up with a number that's going to satisfy a main actor, like a, a real actor? And we're talking Baron, yeah. you know, this is, no, he's, he's in a, Platoon. He's an Oscar-nominated actor. Yeah, what are we talking about yeah, here? Yeah. The whole cast is is superb. Yeah, yeah, they, they, I'm... So, so that, that's what I'm saying. So, how do you? How do I dictate what I pay Tom Berenger? Yeah, as a guy that that really doesn't have experience in doing that. Well, I have a casting agent, and I kind of know certain things. I've heard certain things like, okay, we, let's let's offer him this, and okay, then maybe there's some points on the back end. They come back. It's a negotiation. You know, it's not like points I mean, on the back end, meaning right, whatever the film grosses, you get money. For right. It. You know. So yes. you know, you just start going at that point. You know, first they have to be interested. Then all of a sudden you go, okay, well, you're interested. Great. Let's, let's do this. And, you know, so then once you figure out the number where everybody feels comfortable, like, you know, at a certain point he could he could say, well, I want X amount of dollars. And it's like, well, this is the budget and this is what we can budget. Are you willing to do it for this? You know, or we'll give you four points on the back end, two points on the back end, you know, whatever. It's it's it, That's why it's tough when you hear actors and actresses complain about, like, it's not equal pay. Like, I remember watching... Um, there was something going on with reshoots uh, when Kevin Spacey's scandal hit. They had to do reshoots for a movie that Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams were in. Uh, I forget. It's like the. It's about the get. Not, is it the Getty family? I don't know. It's, it's, it's like a kid gets. I, I can't remember the movie. But anyway, they were talking about well how how things are, need to be fair. And I'm like, this isn't. You're not a police officer. You're not a teacher. Where, no matter what it is, this is this is what you make. A film gets made based off talent for the most part. So now if I'm in a movie with Jennifer Lawrence to say, hopefully, whatever, whatever it comes to that day, Jennifer Lawrence isn't getting, and me and her aren't getting paid the same amount of money. No. You yeah, know what I'm saying? I know but a film isn't happening that way. It's like, all right, you have a budget, say your budget's 20 million, okay, and say 7 million or 10 million is going to Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, and then, you know, whatever I'm going to get is a lot less than that, you know, and maybe 100,000 or 200,000 or whatever it is. So it's tough to – it's not about men and women. It's like what moves the needle because it is a business. So what moves the needle for a distributor to take less risk? You know, because a film is, is a stock basically if you think about it. Um, I can make $100 million with this American dress to just say hypothetically. There's zero guarantee that I'm going to go make $100,000 on the next one. I can make 300000 I mean $300 million, just say I can make $50 million. There is no guarantee. It is a stock. You, it's a team of people trying to do something that there is no guarantee of something. You yes. know? Something can come out and it'd be amazing. And it's, I mean, here's a perfect example. And it's music, but it's the same shit. I was watching a documentary on Aerosmith, and they were saying how their first album came out. And, it, you know, they, they battled as a band to get where they got it. They got an album made. It didn't really go anywhere. Or at least that's that's what it said in this documentary. Then either their second or third album started gaining some traction. And then what happened was once that started gaining some traction, they go, what else did this band do? And they went back to the first album. And you know what was on that first album? Dream On, which is their biggest hit. How did Dream On get passed on the first time it came out? Yeah. It's intangibles. It's timing. It's, it's, it's weird shit, you know? Yeah. But the one thing that can't change is your hard work to kind of get this done. That's the only thing that can't change because you can't control anything else. How really. did you get to so then? So how does your casting agent? So how what, does Tom Berenger come across your desk? So what happens is Tom's name is brought up to me, and I'm like, oh yeah, I like Tom Berenger. Of yeah, course, shit. I mean, you know, that's great that, that he's even interested. Um, so he was interested, and they wanted to set up a phone call. And I said, okay, great. Let's set up how a phone does call. that feel for you? You created this character, 
And now you have someone. I don't. I, I mean, I don't know how much you watch TV when you were younger. Oh, I, I was. Yeah, but but does now have Tom Berenger, who for me when I was, you know, an adolescent watching Platoon, so to speak, right? And you watch him in that role. And now he is actually interested in something that you created, a character that you created. It's got to be a pretty good feeling. It's funny when you're going through the process. I'm not really thinking about any of that until it's like done, done. I'm really just not even thinking about it because I, I already know like, all right, I'm meeting him. But then if he likes it, okay, then we got to make sure he gets the money and then he gets part of his money and then he gets this and then we got to get the next person and all that. So, But, but Tom was a different situation because Tom was the only one that I – I knew whoever was going to be in the lead of this film, I was going to go meet. So when I talked to Tom on the phone, we hit it off. His, his manager at the time said, hey, listen, we really liked. Tom really had a great time talking with Carmine, vice versa, blah, 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 whatever. Great. I said, okay. When I talked to Tom, I said, where do you live? He told me where he lived. I go, all right, I'll see you in like three days. He's like, what? I go, I'm coming down to meet you now. So I flew down all my time. He's like, you could stay with me. And I'm like, I'm not staying with him. I don't even know him. I don't even want to stay with anybody. Anyway. Yeah, I don't want to stay. I Knock in my own hotel room. Right. I didn't really know him. So I'm like, yeah. I'm not doing that. So I got my hotel, my own hotel room. And then I remember him and his wife were coming to pick me up. Where are we? Where are we? Florida? We're in South Carolina. Okay, South Carolina. He, he actually bought a, a beautiful home years ago when he, after he did the big chill. At least I think that's how it all went. So he's lived there for a while. It's a beautiful home. They come down to the hotel. I come down out of the uh, the elevator being like, I just hope everything's, this guy's a good guy. You know, I'm just hoping like, you know, because you're working so hard to get something done that when things are going smooth, they're always like, I oh, just let this shit keep Isn't going it really smooth. something else at the end of the day? Just hope that this guy's a good human being yeah. that I could just bond with. Right. And no matter what, just based on my confidence and how I can talk is if he's just a cool person, we're probably going to hit it off. Right. And that's basically what it was. I had a jackpot like that. I I, I'm, I consider Tom a very good friend. I mean, he's met my family. I met his family. His wife I love. She's a sweetheart. Um, so I've become very close with Tom to this day. He's actually read my, my, my new screenplay that I have because I said, read this. Let me know what you think and stuff like that. So I've become very close with him. But it all kind of gradually happened. And then we went back to his house and we had some wine and we're bullshitting and then we were talking about the second lead now. And Wes Studi was actually interested in it at the time, but I think something happened where he couldn't do it or something happened, whatever. So my first thought was like, let's get Keith David. I love Keith David. It, Another it, guy in Platoon? In everything. Right? right? I so mean, come Tom, on. Right, so Tom starts saying, oh, Keith is great. I, I, don't even, I don't know if I brought up Keith, but I was thinking about Keith or maybe Tom brought him up. Somebody brought him up. And at that point... I'm watching Tom. I don't remember this. It's funny. I just remember this now. I'm watching Tom talk in his backyard, and he had like a fire pit bullshitting about Keith David. And he's talking. I could see the the the, the reflection of the flames off his face. And I'm like, wow, because there's a scene where he's in the campfire on, in American Dresser. And I'm like, he's talking to me, and I'm kind of like, okay, this is how I would frame him, you know, in this shot when we do this and all that stuff. But uh, So then we talked about Keith David, and then it was like, well, I don't want anybody other than Keith David. And then when they tried to get some other people other than Keith David, and I said, I, you know, producers, everybody in a creative business, everybody has a lot of creative ideas, but you're essentially ass assembling a team. So it's like, uh, you know, Tom, if we got this person, it's a ripple effect for everything else. You get Tom, it's a ripple effect for everything else. It's it's, it's just kind of much works easier out. to get Keith David when he knows that he already did a show, a right. movie with Tom. Tom. Right. To say, yes, okay, I'm interested. If he's in, let me see. And exactly what I was talking about right. with 
with the entourage. Right. Right. Once you get the one guy, then it's a domino effect that comes in. Right. Right. And a lot of people pass for a lot of different reasons. Like you think like, oh, this person don't like it. I mean, I, I can't think of there's a couple of people that were like, I can't do it. I'm on vacation. I mean, you got to realize these people have lives and families. And you they, even you, think of that. You're not even thinking of those things. You know, you go, oh, right. Okay. Well, they. I mean, I had a couple of actors pass, but then send me a nice email saying, hey, listen, this project looks great. I'm working on something or I'm on vacation. Thank you for, you know, keep me in mind and whatever. And they don't need to do that at all. I'm Which is great for you because yeah. this is not something, this is a one pony show here. Right. You want to create and do more. Absolutely. Like, my goal wasn't this film. I have a, a couple of questions. So I'm sure. watching the watching the movie. First, mm -hmm. Actually, can we just get right into the trailer here? Let's play the sure. trailer. Okay. Right? Let's play the trailer, E. And, um, and then we'll come back and, and there's some questions because I took some notes. I Good. watched it last night. So okay. I, I, there's a couple, a couple you, of things. You may know it better than me. I haven't watched it in a while. Okay. All right. So here, this is the trailer. This is American Dresser. Here we go. I see you got the bike out. I thought you needed some attention. I wanted to take a ride. It's been way too long. Where you headed? The great Northwest. You gotta take me with you. It's the last chance I have to take the ride of a lifetime. Where, hold on a sec. Can you stop that for one second here? Because I got a lot of questions. Where are we right now? We're in Syracuse. You are in Syracuse. Yes. Yeah. Before we continue on this, mm -hmm. just give us a little synopsis so we know what we're talking about. Give us the American Dresser. What's the whole... Uh, basically, American Dresser is a story of uh, Beringer's character, a guy named John Moore. And uh, he suddenly loses his wife, unfortunately. And he kind of falls into a tailspin, starts drinking. And uh, his daughter and him, his daughters and him are really kind of like at an impasse now. They're frustrated with the way he's turned, what he's turned Such into. Starts drinking, right? And uh, while Tom's character is looking through his deceased wife's stuff, he comes across a letter uh, that his wife has hid from him. His wife is Gina Gershon in the film, and uh, no, huge actor. She's great. She, I mean, it's, it's just funny how these things. Other actors knew other actors. There's actually an actor in this film that's not in this film because the scene got cut out, and he's a producer on this film that knew Gina and knew Penelope Ann Miller. And he was just, um, I can't think of his name right now. It's He's, he's a good guy. I, I want to just, you said Penel Penelope. In my opinion, I, so I'm taking notes. Okay. This is my notes about Penelope. Hold on a second here. Where is she? Platoon. Again, very, it's just a sweetheart. Vera. Oh, uh, yeah. She's, Vera. Yeah. Great casting, nice acting, as natural as can be. Great part, great casting on your part. She's a great. I appreciate that. She looked great. She did a great job. She's sweetheart. Sweetheart, that was a great casting by you, by the way. I just wanted to point that out because you said I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, and I don't know if I could get to it, but I took that note down because I'm watching her and I'm like, this is a great actress. Well, what's interesting about it when when I originally wrote those two roles of Tom's wife and then Vera, who he meets down the road, literally and figuratively, um, you know, you would think like. Gina Gashan would be the uh, Gina. I said it's so Italian. Gina Gashan. Gina Gashan. <laughs> of course, um, would be the girl he meets and this and that. Because Gina's always just you know, beautiful, you know, outgoing person. That, you know, she's been on Curb too. She's hysterical on Curb. Yep. Um, and Penelope would be the wife who passes. And I just felt like I wanted to flip that because I kind of I, I wanted to see Gina as a mother, and I wanted to see Penelope as. You know, a different type of character than I maybe have seen her before. You know, Gina was on a Ma Making America, right? Making um, what was it? I think I, I wrote that down somewhere here. Oh, she was on How to Make It in America. It was an HBO show. Yeah, it was right after uh, Entourage. It was yeah, like, it was yeah. actually a great show, and then it got canceled for yeah. whatever reason. But I loved it. 
That was a great. I action. never saw that show, but you I know. Never saw I, know it? I know it. Yeah, she played a great part in that too. That's how I know. I, when I watched it, I, and I'm watching the movie list, yeah. and I'm like, "Holy! I, I know. I know it from somewhere." Yeah. So I looked into it. So again, so continue. So here's this guy. So he finds this letter, and it propels him to get on his motorcycle and go cross country to, you know, find the reason why this letter has been hidden from him. And and Keith David plays an old friend who just came off a motorcycle accident pretty recently uh who says hey man i want to take that ride with you because every every rider's dream at least i would think would be to ride cross country yes on that you know i have a question for you with that before we sure. play this this trailer here in it you had and, and this is just because of how the guy i am okay. right so you have behringer there and he says i want to do this by myself mm-hmm and i would think that that's what i'd want to do but you as creating this movie you make you make sure that he's not going by himself there why did you make that kind of decision and not have it a movie that this guy starts experiencing things on his own? Well, I because felt- that's what I thought was going to happen. Like th- th- he's going through a lot. His wife just died. He needs this. Right. And it was a moment that I thought that he was going to say, "You're not coming," and that's the end of it. Right. But you didn't do that. Why? Well, I think because good friends are like, "I right, listen. I don't give a shit what you have to say." I mean, I have a lot of. I'm fortunate. I have a lot of good friends that I've known since I'm eight years old. That I still am in touch with often. And uh, if I was like, listen, I'm doing this by myself and my one friend or whatever friend knew that I was hurting inside and I really kind of needed somebody there, even though I'm saying don't come, they wouldn't give a shit. It's true. They would just say, listen, I'm coming with you enough already. Let's get past this. Yeah. When are we leaving? Yes. So that's kind of how I, I, I felt them. And Tom and Keith, when they saw each other, they hadn't seen each other and I don't know how long. I, I don't know if it was Platoon. I, I think it was... I, I, I saw them saw each other like more recently than that, but it hadn't been for a while. And uh, just seeing them Embrace. interact and talking with each other and laughing. I mean, on a day off, they went up to Skinny Atlas because we were up in Syracuse. They went up to Skinny Atlas with Tom's wife and they, they took pictures and like they had a fun time. I didn't want this film just to be something that it's like, all right, here's a job. Here's something. I mean, Tom's life kind of changed in the sense of he's a rider now. Tom's wife was a motorcycle rider. She still is. So when they got the script, I didn't know any of this. Tom rode very little, and then he started riding a lot once he knew the film was coming on. And now, they, I think they sold their house that they had that I met him in, and they have a, they have a giant RV with, they pull a Jeep, their motorcycles, their dogs, and he's been a Sturgis with me every time I've been there. It's like now he's, he's traveling America. Now he's, yeah, he's traveling America. He's, he's a rider now. I mean, think about and, that, though, too, with you, right? Even the fact that you're saying that the two actors, they go up and they're just doing things on their own, just getting them together and doing that may, must have made you feel really good. Well, what I realized, too, is when you're around really talented people, which is what I had in this film, it's like you got to know when to just let them do their thing. You know, sometimes it's just like action and go 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 do what you do i mean i know what i want i know what i can edit and put together and i know all these things i want to know the thing i want to see the things that i didn't think of i want those happy accidents whether it's i mean bruce dern we didn't even get into him but he came to me when i first met him me and keith were going to grab dinner one night and bruce came in for his couple of days of shooting and we just sat down, me and Keith, and just listened to Bruce. And Bruce knew the script inside and out. He, uh, so I'm sitting there like a little kid in a candy store going, tell me about Clint Eastwood. Tell me about yes, Jeff Nathan. Yes, tell me about this. And I, I did the same shit to Tom. I'm like, tell me about uh, Platoon. Tell me about, uh, so you tell me, Oliver Stone, Stone. one of my favorites, you know. He's like on my Mount Rushmore. And I'm like, tell me about this. And he's telling me about the whole fight scene where him and Defoe fight each other. They all worked it out in a parking lot the night before. And it's like all these little stories I don't really think about it because I don't really talk about them that much. But when I was involved with these stories with these guys, it was cool. You know, it was a yeah. cool thing. I'm a movie fan. So, you know, to hear about Platoon or to hear about, 
you know, anything Keith that comes out of Keith's mouth, <laughs> anything that comes out of Keith David's mouth, I'm like, really? Yes. And, I know, it's, it's, and it's funny. I don't know if he still has it. I hadn't called him. I haven't called him in a while, but I called him one time to thank him for something, the film or whatever. He came to the premieres. He was great. He was actually helpful in selling the film because he came to one of our screenings for distributors and he sat there. And he was like, you made a good film. And I was like, oh, shit. That's, he didn't have to say that. And yeah. all the distributors were like, because he's such a presence. It's, he doesn't of have course. to speak. But when he speaks, it's almost like, wow. you know. Yeah. But I called him one time for something. And again, I'm not thinking about these things until we're talking about it now. And, I, and he's like, hello. And I'm like, hey, Keith, what's up? It's Carmine. He's like, hello? And he gave me one of those fake mess outgoing messages. Yeah, 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 and I yeah, fell for it. So nice to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 but yeah, him yeah. doing I'm not thinking he's doing it, even though he's like Mr. Voiceover guy. And uh, so it's those little funny things. Yeah, know. absolutely. Let's play. Can we play this from the beginning again? Let's play. Let, let's let it go through here. And again, American Dresser. I, you know, the reason why I cut it off is because coming from Long Island, I was trying to see. You know, while mm. I'm watching the movie, where's where are some of the parts from Long Island? Yeah. So that's that's why I interrupted. But let's let the whole thing play through here. Yeah. Cool. I see you got the bike out. I thought you needed some attention. I wanted to take a ride. No way too long. Where you headed? the great Northwest. You gotta take me with you. It's the last chance I have to take the ride of a lifetime. My name's John. Willie. Willie. Or maybe I'd tag along for a couple of miles? A couple of miles? Yeah, sure, why not? Motorcycles have come a long, long way. But there's one thing that never changes. Women love men on bikes. Not what I expected. Any other secrets, Dad? It's your job to hold this family together. You didn't ride all this way to turn back now. And neither did I. I just wanted to finish what we started. Scumbag. You scumbag. To let you take away my pain will be my pleasure. American dresser. And that's easy top. Yeah, that's uh, uh the person singing that song is a guy named Tim Montana and uh Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. Now that's a whole different story too. How I met Billy Gibbons was all by chance as well. Shut that off. There you go. Yeah. So there's a, there's there's stories on top of stories of every facet of this. Okay. You know? So so I have some questions here sure. now. Okay. Shoot. <laughs> yeah. Let's. So here we go. So right off the bat, I see the thing is you know it says um, Sprockefeller Pictures go with Flow Films Film House right. Okay. So when you're creating a movie and you want to do something like this, a film like this, who are these people and how do you get involved in them and, and, and how important is it to have these type of people on board? Well, you need producers and you need investors and that's who those other companies are. Go With The Flow Films is my production company. That's yours? That's mine. Okay. And that's what I'd, I'd like Go to Go With do. The Flow. Yeah, it's yeah. It's pretty good. Well, you know what it was? My father's original uh, contracting company was Flow Right Gutters and our thing was Go With The Flow. So I just kind of like that as a name of a, because, you know, I just try and go with the flow with things in life because you can't really control much. Um, my investor came in and then uh, I met a producer named Ryan Johnson who knew an investor named Martin Sprock, who uh, is Sprockefeller Films. 
and the film house was a it was another production company that came in with Ryan Johnson and my other producer on the film Michael Haggerty those were the guys that kind of got me to go up to Syracuse and once we got the ball rolling uh, Martin Sprock was brought in he's, a, he's an investor in films like that and I didn't know Martin at all really in any way uh, I really didn't know I almost felt like he was kept away from me for whatever reason I mean when this was getting done people were still trying to get me out of the role of Willie that I played in the film why? because I guess they wanted another name and, and, and what, it, what it comes down to is I mean I can give you names that they thought and they weren't right and, I, and if, if you told me we getting somebody that I felt was right and it would better the film I, I, I don't listen, have an ego like that but listen, when it's I, the wrong I, person then I have a problem I'm with gonna, that I'm going to say this and I, and I have some, some great things that I want to say about the film and then some things that I want to give you just my own take on certain okay. things. And you take, take it the way, that, however it is. It better be good. No. I'm going to say this. Your acting is superb because you're exactly that. the same person that you're sitting here today. That guy there is no different than the guy that's sitting in front of me today. And I think that's what acting is all about. Some of the acting roles that I saw, and they were a little pushed, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit forced. Right. Could have been Joe Cozo <laughs> acting in, you know, before yeah. he met, you know, uh, Larry from Three's Company. <laughs> in my was, own was, Is his character named Larry Gamble? What was no, La not Larry. I don't even know his last name, but it's Larry. Okay. Maybe Larry Gamble is somebody that I know. I yeah. Think, okay. So 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 I'm just I'm just point, putting that out there that when I saw you mm -hmm. acting and and how you were acting it wasn't pushed. It was actually superb. I thought you did a better job than almost any actor that was there. In my own opinion, I appreciate that. That's very nice to say. Yeah, I I, I really mean that. Um, and, I, and I will say this before we go into another topic. I probably felt so relaxed playing that role because I was actually essentially the boss on the film. Uh, if I was cast in that. I probably would have played it the other way if there was another director, but I probably would have had different ideas on certain things. I just felt like whatever I do, I, I knew how I was going to edit it as well. Yeah, and it makes sense that you say that because right. you were totally yourself well, it's, no, it's no different than Clint Eastwood. When you see Clint Eastwood in, in uh, and again, Clint Eastwood is my, fa what, my, if not my favorite filmmaker up there. So I always kind of like that vibe. And it's, as a writer, sometimes I get caught up in it where it's like I write something and I, and, and I keep it where like a look it means something, you know. It's weird because in you, every you, which way, but loose. That was just on last night. Did you watch it? Who is? What's the monkey's name? Clyde. Clyde. Yes. Best. Yeah, it's great. Clyde's the best. Yeah. I can't. You see, like that. You I got it. it. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're, you're a Clint Eastwood guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because that was my favorite movie growing up. When I saw Clyde and how he interacted with the it's orangutan. It's funny. I had I had an interesting thing with Clint Eastwood. I forgot what it was from. Um, I don't know if I wanted to get him involved. So I, I think I wanted him to try and play Bruce Dern's role. And I mean that's ballsy to even think that I could a guy with no agent, no manager. I gotta tell you right now, every single listen. Let's go through really quick here. Yeah, yeah. Becky O'Donoghue, she was on American Idol. She f almost finished. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She has a twin sister too, how, which is crazy. How how was kissing her? I didn't even think. She's, oh, she was, stop! She was married. She, she just had Come a kid. On. She was married. Oh, stop! Do you practice the kissing the no, scene? No, it's no, just no, you no. go right into I it. I will say this: the only thing that You're we, such a son of a bitch only, casted yourself the only guy with the hot girl. Such a scumbag. Well, Tom, Tom, Tom had a girlfriend, and 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 uh, so and, Pen and, uh, Penelope. Yes, yes. And, and Keith ended up uh, had a uh, Catherine Narducci from Sopranos, who I love. I, I, Absolutely, uh, I love her. She's a sweetheart. another top-notch actress, now, in my opinion. She, now she's somebody that when I met her and I. I told her this and when I was making the film we went back and forth briefly you know whatever she was only there for a day or two Tom and Keith were there for the whole chunk of the film 
Jeff Fahey, Bruce, Penelope, another Gina, top. They actor. were all they were all there for like two days, three days. So they they were like plucked in every once in a while, and they were great. They came in, it was great. But um, what were we just saying? We were saying something. Donahue. Oh, oh, so Donahue. When I met Donahue, um, she just had a kid, and uh, and she had twin. She has a twin sister. If you ever watched. Uh, Chuck and Larry, you know the Adam Sandler movie. Okay, I don't know, but it's, yeah. it's like a fireman movie, whatever. In the beginning, Adam Sandler has a girlfriend, and then she has a sister. It's those two in there. So anyway, Becky was a sweetheart. I, I mean, I she was always nice to me. Hot as fuck. And, oh, she's beautiful. Oh, she's, she's so beautiful. hot. I said that yeah, I watch you, and I'm like, this guy, look at him kissing this girl, making yeah. out. But I, t- I, 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 you know, I'm a firm believer when it comes to stuff like that. I said, you know, I'm not one. You I'm have not, a girlfriend. I do, but I'm not in this business. To- Hold on. Yeah, I know. I know you're not. I know you're Mr. Humble. I get. You. I got you. I got you, guy. But we're gonna we're gonna talk. You have a girlfriend. Yeah. Right. But I didn't have her when I was making. this You film. didn't have. It. No. Okay. So then, because my whole thing was always, if I ever get a role, because I always had a girlfriend, you know, running through. How does that work out? That here you are, you have a girlfriend, and you're kissing this hot girl. How does that all play out? You know, is it cheating? Is it not cheating? I mean, this is the role. I mean, this is work. If, I'm, know, getting, if I'm getting course. paid for it, of course. you know, whatever. But I, 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 I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. I'm sure I'll have a girlfriend on this next one. Yes. You know, and the thing is, it's like, it's, it's the way I look at it it's was- business. Well, the way I look at it, even with, even with Becky, I might've said it to, to her as well. It's like, whatever you feel comfortable with. Like, I'm not- Leaning in to stick my tongue down somebody's throat, but that's I but there's a conversation because I, really I really don't give a shit about that. But that's the thing: the people that don't know the ins and outs of a movie and creating a movie mm-hmm. is that a conversation that you have with the actor? I guess so. I mean, I, I, everything's different. It's always moving parts, you know. Like I said, like you know, you have this person playing this role; they might have different anxieties. You know, Becky just had a child, so she felt like shit. I just, I'm not in the best shape that I could be in. But she's a beautiful girl, so like to me, that's ridiculous to even hear. Or think, or somebody told me that, and, and you I was like, th- yeah. and you don't think about that. I don't think about that. I just want her to be comfortable in the scene. I want her to do the best she can. You know, like my, my, I got a million things to worry about. I'm not worried about kissing Becky. You know, it's yeah. like that's just kind of the way. That's the reality of the situation. Yeah, of course, it, it's not the worst thing in the world, obviously, but it's not something that I'm going going home going. And that's because you nice. have, a, and that's because you have a lot of things on your plate. You're directing this. That's film. why I like having a lot of things on my plate because it keeps me busy and it kind of keeps the focus on everything. My question for you is: You don't have a lot of credit, hmm. right, or street credit in regards to making movies right. at that time, right? Absolutely. And you're also now directing a film, and I'm not saying you know I know that you did Beach House, but it's not like no, you, you Beach know, House is, is nothing, not even yeah. the same planet. I'm not saying it's not like you did ET, no. you know, or anything like or Avatar or whatever. You don't not have even, all this credit. It's not even like the Beach House was half of what Clerks was. It, it was nothing. It was something that I just it was film school. As as a as a man, right? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you go about adjusting knowing that you have these top-notch actors that you're going to direct and we're talking about actors that were directed by Oliver Stone the who best. you said is the best of the best and who I agree with you with okay. but now you're going to direct them you're going to tell these actors that were up for Academy Awards that were up for Tony Awards mm-hmm. some of the actresses that you had there right they were on Broadway as mm-hmm. well oh yeah even even the actors uh, the actors that played Tom's daughter like one of the daughters was she's like, on Broadway yeah yeah she, she's legit I mean everybody everybody in this film in this particular film American Dresser had more credit than, than me of course I saw that that's yes. what I'm saying yes. so but here you are now, and you have to demand the respect out of them as the director. You're the guy. You don't ever have to demand anything. Just handle yourself a certain way, and then people respond to that. And actually, and I'll tell you a story that based off that. Go ahead. So 
when I met Bruce Dern, he was a super nice guy. He was as not. Can you sh- put Bruce Dern up on there? Oh, he's he, on there? He, hey. was, he was as sharp as a tack as anybody ever going to meet. And me and Keith, like I said, we're going to grab a bite to eat. And we sat there for two hours. And and he just did Nebraska, where he got nominated for an Oscar. And then he just did Hateful Eight. Now, as a film fan, I, I know what these people have done. I, I never, I'm not watching Bruce Dern in a movie, whether it's The Burbs or whether it's Coming Home or whether it's all these other movies he did, Hang 'em High with Clint Eastwood. I'm not watching. I've watched them already. What I do do is when I was going to cast somebody is I'd watch them in an interview. Because even though they're on a little bit, they're still showing themselves as an interviewee. You know? So I, now I'm seeing them a little bit, a little bit personable than they're not playing a role. So when I met Bruce, I just hit it off. And, and I think there's something about the New York, Long Island sarcasm, that kind of that little ball buster thing a little bit, if you do it just right, that they like. Because there's a genuineness there. There's a heartfelt genuineness there. So when I got to know him and we shot his scene, we shot him one day. Oh, before I say anything, my cinematographer, this guy Jesse Brunt, is, is my amazing. girlfriend said amazing. Said you know, friend, got, amazing. Yes, he, and she actually she said this is re- shot really. Oh, well. this guy, the th- cinematography is really good. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, he's yeah. so good, this guy, right, my friend. That what's his name? Jesse Brunt. And does he have a company that you want to just say? Or no, I don't even Jesse know. Brunt? Just, Jesse Brunt. Jesse Brunt, DP. Jesse Brunt for hire. Yeah, Jesse Brunt for hire. <laughs> okay. I met him through my through my uh, my producer Ryan Johnson. We met in the city. We met in Stout, the little Irish bar, in, uh, right right by Penn Station. We went there. We started popping down a couple of Guinnesses. What was the bar? Stout. Stout. Okay. Okay. So we're popping down a couple of Guinnesses, and I meet him, and I told him I want this to be um, an epic indie. That's what I said. I want this to be an epic indie, big, you know, you know, whatever. So he shows me all. He's an aerial DP all, as well. So he showed me all this aerial stuff he did for uh, uh, Pierce Bronson. He did these other things. So I, so once I met this guy, I liked him as a person. And then I saw his, you know, his his reel, and I was like, holy shit! So three hours later, this guy's hired. It's just so many different things is. that you don't even realize. There's a million things that go on. Go on. So, so when you're talking to me about Becky and kissing Becky, it's like. Oh, right. Five Becky. minutes. Becky, that's Five awesome, minutes. right? Yeah, she's out. cool. She's cool. Her husband was cool. We actually, I like to think our film did a lot of cool things. Like, we like, like she just got married. She oh, just her had, husband on the set? Her husband came on the set with their kid. She had a kid. And you're kissing? I'm, yeah. Oh, God, I don't know how. He didn't <laughs> I don't even, I don't even think he gave, I don't even think he gave you a shit. You don't think about these things, though, but, you know, person for me. I didn't give a shit that he was I, there. I was happy that he was there, so of she course. felt better, you know. And, yes. And he seemed like a real nice guy, and they had a very small kid. So, you know, but getting back to Bruce Dern was, like, I have a million stories. He played a great part, by the way, Bruce uh, Dern. He was great. So now, in that scene, I basically wrote, uh, he's, his role is King of the Road. So basically what I wrote was, he's outside, he walks in, he sits at the table, he fiddles through somebody else's fries, eats their fries, orders the same coffee as Berenger's character and leaves. That's what I wrote. When I met Bruce, he's like, do you mind if I, you know, uh, ad-lib a little bit and do this? He goes, because, you know, when me and Jack were starting, we were ad-libbing a lot and doing this, and he's talking about Jack, and I'm like, this fucking guy's talking about Jack Nicholson. I'm like, you could, I said to Jack Nicholson. I go, you could do whatever you want. That's what I said to him. I said, you could do whatever you want. He goes, all right, great, great, great. So whatever. So when he came in, whatever's in that movie, it's a great part by you to not have an ego nah, and it's not say about that. that. At the end of the day, I, I I've some heard, people will like that. I've heard Clint Eastwood say, you know, listen, if the if this uh, craft service person comes up with a great idea and it goes in the movie, I get credit for it, you know. So whatever, it's true. you know. But I don't really, you know, I also get shitted on if people don't like the film, which I don't care about that either. You know, it's like I don't, I'm not even thinking about those things. But 
getting back to Bruce. So we shot Bruce, shot him out, and he called my producer, my DP, and myself, my camera guy, and myself into his trailer after uh, after the shoot. And he basically said, listen, to my producer, thank you for bringing me up to Syracuse. I really like it up here. Great. Blah, blah, blah. Said to my DP, I... I, What's DP? uh, The cinematographer, the camera guy. Okay. Director of photography is DP. And he said to my camera guy, Jesse Brunt, I'd never been on an independent film set like this. It was great. Because Bruce does a lot of independent stuff, too. And... um, and, you know, he was very, very kind. And he said to me, he goes, listen, I just worked on Nebraska and got a, a nominated. He goes, then I just worked with Quentin on Hateful Eight. And now I just work with you. So, you know, I'm like, I go, I know. I'm all up in your shit. I know what you're up to. You know, so yeah. he laughed. He goes, on a serious note, I've never seen a set, like, run for people, run for somebody like I saw them do for you. I said, well, you know, hey, you get lucky once in a while. He goes, no, no, I've been doing this for a long time. It starts at the top. I see the way you are and all these things. He goes, I'm going to tell you this right now. He goes, I just work with two of the best visionaries. He goes, you're a visionary type of guy. Don't ever do uh, TV, you know, episodic TV where you just locked in on something. He goes, you got a vision. You got to keep doing it. Now, whether he was just being polite or nice, I always remember that because that was really nice and say he didn't need to say that. And it's like, once you hear something like that, it's like, wow, because I love Quentin. I love Alexander. Uh I think his name's Payne, you know. And Tarantino's the biggest of the biggest. You know, I love big. You know, so it was nice to hear. But then the type of person I am, it's like, that's great to hear. What's the next thing to do? And it's just like, you know, you hear those things. And and there was one time, I will say, the more we talk about, the more I'm thinking about this. There's a scene where when we first started shooting this film, I was so, I had so much to do that I never thought about things, about being like, oh, my God, I got this person, I got this person. But when I was driving up to Syracuse and my producer, Ryan, called me to say, we got Bruce. He's like, we got Dern. I was like, holy shit, we got Bruce Dern. Like, oh, my God, that's, that's amazing. Great, great, great. Oh, my God. So I, that was like one of the rare times I was like, holy shit, we got this Bruce Dern. I can't believe it. I'm, wow. <laughs> like, wow. Like, I didn't even really know what to say. Like, holy shit, this has got to be a joke. One of the times we were shooting, and this is probably the only other time that I actually had a moment of like, like, holy, like, what am I doing here, you know, is we were doing a bunch of scenes where uh, Tom, myself, and Keith were pulling up the Penelope's house. Mm-hmm. you know, in that part of the movie. Yeah. So we had to get some riding shots. So my camera guy, Jesse, goes, okay, drive, ride the bikes that way, uh, ride towards me, then turn around and ride away. We'll use that somewhere, you know, whatever. I said, okay, great. We do that. As I'm driving, I'm like looking over and I'm seeing these guys on all these motorcycles in this in this film. My Tom rides my father's motorcycle. I ride my motorcycle. And we thought we were getting a free motorcycle from uh, Indian that fell through. So... Me and my father bought an Indian motorcycle because I wanted real American motorcycles. Yeah, of course. You know? So we went and bought I have all these bikes still. Um, so as I was riding away from him to film it, I happened to look over and I'm like, I'm seeing this guy over here on this on my bike, this guy over here on my father's bike. And I'm like, and I had like a roar came out, like, yeah, like one of those things. And that was it. Like it came out. I took it all in. By the time we rode back, I was like, all right, back to work. You know? And it just... You got to pick your moments. Those moments right there. Yeah. You'll, you'll never forget no, that No, I, re- I remember that. Bruce Dern meeting Tom, hanging with Keith. I mean, I had a, we were getting breakfast. We were getting something to eat late one night. And people come up to Keith and go, I know you. I love you. I can't think of your name. And Keith is so cool and classy. He's like, yeah, well, when you figure that out, come back. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But then I've had great memories with Jeff Fahey, too, who was on for a day. And then I would be in Los Angeles working on the film. You know, do, I did all the post work in Los Angeles. And... 
I'm going to bring something all full circle right now for you, uh, which is pretty interesting. So I ended up having, the way it all worked out, I ended up getting like three editors on this film, which is not the way to do it. The third editor that I met is a guy named Peter Devaney. And I worked at this company called, uh, we were calling it The Toast. But a guy named Galen Walker owned, was one of the owners. And the editor worked at this place. And then the composer, this guy named Mark uh, Van, o- uh, Van Oker, worked there too. So I started editing the film there. But I was living with this guy, Galen, in this rented house that he was living to in Studio City. And he was renting it from a guy named Khan something. I can't think of his name. Khan Shaw or something. Khan Shaw. And this guy, Khan, was, um, was a stunt guy. So he wasn't there all the time, you know, whatever. So I was editing this in California. Faye came out. We'd grab dinner. We'd have a good time. I'm like hanging out with these people. I'm like, this is fucking weird. But it seemed normal, you know? It seems like a great life. Yeah, it seems really cool, right? So... You know, trust me, there were a lot of struggles finishing this film. There were a lot of arguments, a lot of, dis- you know, people... Who would you argue with? Well, it wasn't so many arguments, but it was like investors want certain things, you see it another way, and then they start withholding money. I told my investor, uh, like, listen, if you don't write a check, then you're useless on this film. And, and like, Yeah, it's the only reason why you're here. Right, they don't want to hear that because, you know, that isn't what it is. And, 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 and in retrospect, I get their point. They're investing. It's like, listen, I, you know. But, you know... I've become better friends with uh, Martin Sprock after the film came out because we had a chance to step back and realize that we're all on the same page here, you know, so let's do whatever we got to do. But when I was uh, when I was editing the film out there, I ended up, uh, my friend, my producer Ryan ended up knowing a guy named Martin Gigi who worked with Billy Gibbons. And we and they were going on a like a, a solo tour and he was part of his band. So we went down and saw Billy and I met Billy Gibbons, and uh, and this all sounds so great, but the reality of it is everything's like a, a fight. Every inch is a fight, is a fight, is a fight. So I'm sitting there, and I meet Billy. Nice to meet you. Very, very nice guy. We sit down, and he's rehearsing, and he's blowing out some Billy Gibbons solo in front of me, and I'm looking at my investor, like, I mean, going at my producing partner, Ryan, going, all right, and he's looking at me, and we both know. Well, nobody's saying anything. We both know, like, we got to get this guy to get some music on this film. This is like, this is nuts. This is it. This is this is, this guy. is the guy. This is the guy. That's I mean, the guy. This is the guy. Holy shit, it's Billy Gibbons. You know, he's playing a it's like mind-bending uh, solo in my face, like from me to you. And I'm like, holy shit. So we say that when we leave, whatever. I go to get on a plane the next day to go home to New York for a couple of days, and uh and he calls me up. My producer says, "Hey, listen, Billy Gibbons called us up. It was interesting." I'm like, "What?" As soon as he was like, "Billy, get," I was like, "Yes." He didn't even have to get Billy Gibbons out of his mouth. It was like, "Yes, whatever he wants to do." So as it turned out, he was good friends with this uh, country rocker, Tim Montana, who I got to know years later. Uh, you know, maybe like a year later, and they wrote "American Dresser" based off the tra- a trailer, not even that trailer that you saw. I had like a Chris Cornell song to a trailer, and. Uh, and he came back with this, and we were like, holy shit, this is pretty good. So that's, that all happened, and that was like how that happened was all by chance, literally by chance. When I go back to the house that I'm renting with this guy who owns the post house, the he's not home. I go and I end up talking with the guy who owns the house, the guy, Khan, the stunt guy. We start bullshitting about something. You know, it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. We're bullshitting about something. He says he's a stunt guy. He goes, like, hey, you know? I know a stunt guy from Long Island. I go, oh, you do? What's his name? He goes, you know, he goes, his name's Bob Williams. I go, Bob Williams? He goes, yeah. He goes, shows me a picture of him. It's the same guy that I met at 17 years old. Are you kidding me? This guy knew him. I was 45 at the time I made this movie. And I actually tried to reach out to Bob Williams 
uh, with the other actors that I knew because I was like, fuck it. If I have a chance to cast them, then this guy was great, got me on this track. You know, it's just the way I think. You know, I want to help everybody, yeah, to be honest. I don't get much help, but I get. I want to help everybody. Of I think karma, well, your nature. Karma's karma. So, um, so I'm like, are you kidding me? So he emails the guy and says, do you remember this guy, Carmen, who you met, blah, blah, blah? And he's like, I think I do. Holy shit. Comes over the next day, I meet the guy. I said, so I don't know if there's somebody above us going like, hey, you're a good person, you're a bad person. All I know is that hard work and karma put this guy that kind of put me on the track. You know, because my father used to joke around when we were trying to get American dressing made, being like, this fucking guy, Bob Williams, you know, we could have a huge business right now. And my father would joke around. He didn't, I mean, my father's half joking, but he's half serious. serious. I mean, I'm making his movie, so he's not that pissed. But, you know, we always joked around about Bob. And now all of a sudden I meet this guy. This many years later, by a chance, I'm at, I'm doing post work for my film. So it's like how something like that came full circle was actually probably the weirdest thing that happened through all this. Like, wow, you happen to know this guy. So then the next day, like I said, we we he came over, we sat down, we caught up a little bit. You know, it was just crazy being like, this is the guy that I was on a roof who said, that guy should try modeling. It's unbelievable. And this is the guy that I'm meeting. Full circle. Almost, you know, 30 years later. It's crazy. And he, uh, he was a super nice guy. And, yeah, yeah, you know, we yeah. Didn't, it was yeah. almost like you knew somebody that you haven't seen in 30 years. Like, I don't even really know what he looked I'm like I'm here. Anymore. Look at this. Right. We did it. Right. I took your advice. Right, yeah, right. Look, exactly. look what happened after yeah. what you said. It's crazy. Like, I didn't really recognize him, yeah. and he really didn't recognize me. But it was like, holy shit, you know? So it's weird things like that that happen. And, and you know, I never have any regrets of how things have gone. Because it's just, as long as you work hard and you treat people the way you want to get treated... Like I said, I try and be a glass half full person. So you know. So you create this movie now, uh-huh. right? And talk talk to me about the pressure of now it's created, mm-hmm. and now you got to sell it. Oh yeah. Now you got to put it out there, and you got to you know nobody's seen it. You've seen it. Right. Yeah. You your editor has seen it. Whatever it is, and now you're gonna have a premiere. Well, what what we, is that all about? What talk- we, well, what we did was um, we wanted to have a screening for for fans, not fans, for just for they do screenings for films to kind of work things out, like you know say. Uh, you have a free movie to go to, and then you have little cards. People write comments on it, and then you go, okay, seven people like the this character. This seven people didn't is like that. Is that what happens? I didn't, uh, t- tell, talk so, to us about that. So I, I don't know anything about those that. Are, those are sometimes that happen at screenings for bigger films, like uh, say Batman. They're like, you know, uh, they have a free. Oh, you want to see Batman for free, and, and then a bunch of people go see Batman for free, and they have little comment cards, and you kind of, you know, and people look into that and really kind of take stock in that. Um, I never even heard of that. Yeah. So it's it's actually a good idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. So we were going to do that, but we didn't really have a chance to do that. So we ended up just having a screening for two screenings for distributors. One distributor was kind of a guy from Fox that we knew, and and uh, we almost did it just for him. That was really interested in the film, and Keith was there, and and there was some other people there. Keith's manager was there, and some uh, maybe another distributor too, and it went well. It went really well. Then we had one with more distributors there, and no actors were there, and it went well too. So then I was able to kind of have an idea of like oh, certain certain distributors are going to offer you this, certain distributors are going to offer you that. Uh, this is domestic. This is foreign. This these people do both. This is this. So, the, you know, not everybody wanted the film. Some people wanted for free. Some people wanted to give you a little bit of money to get it. So, we figured out the the, the right fit for us. You know, I've met I've become close with my distributors. One Cinedime, good people over there. Melody Flower was a person that I know and got to know and. I, Another guy that was there that's no longer there, this guy Lewis that was a, became friendly with, and uh, a guy, Andre Rellis, who is um, VIM, which is a distributor. They were my foreign distributor, but they've become like worldwide distributors now since. So I may deal with him you know, for my next film. 
you know, but it's it's almost like you're just meeting new people. So we had we were fortunate to have a good screening, and I was able to sell it. When you have that screening though, mm-hmm. and this is now the final product that you're going to put out there, so people can actually see, mm-hmm. you know, because it's different when you, you when you're acting in it. You don't really know the full product. You just envision what you think yeah. is going to happen. But now you're putting it in perspective, and you're putting it now on film. Are you nervous about that? Are you, you know, what goes through your mind? Well, I, just want, I want to just make sure that, you know, it goes well. People enjoy it. The pacing of everything is moving, you know. Um, both screenings, people clapped afterwards, which was great. And something happened where I had to do something at the door because the door was like, whatever, locked. I said, now you can't leave. So it's almost like that line from, uh, you know, uh, the one Chad Palminteri's. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Now you can't leave. And they yeah, all got yeah, a kick out of that. So you loosen them up a little bit. You know, like I said, I'm not really insecure dealing with people when it comes to business and stuff like that. So, you know. I, I, for some reason, it didn't really affect me in that sort of way, um, but they all enjoyed it, and that was nice about it, you know. And I actually, you see, like I brought these cups in, I brought mugs and and, and different things for them to take with them because I'm, I think, I think bigger than just a fill. Yeah, well, you know what yeah, it is? I'm thinking yeah. product placement and all these other yes. things. So, you know, uh, that's just kind of where. What I was year is this now? This was probably 2000. 18? 2018? Yeah, it came in 2018. Maybe it was 2017 this all happened. Okay. Yeah. So now you put this movie out there. Mm-hmm. What is it that you're expecting and what's the result? Well, I wanted to make sure that this is all obviously prior to COVID. So my audience is an older audience. So being a, f- uh, a film lover, I go to the movies by myself, but I go during the day when it's raining. I don't, I don't want to be in a crowded theater. So, I mean, from my understanding, the biggest audiences in film that go to movies are young kids and older people. Yeah. Like older people, like 50 to 60, you know, whatever. 18 to 29 to right. 50 to 65. Right. So I knew this was an old, really kind of uh, geared towards, no pun intended, to older people. And uh, so I wanted to make sure it went to theaters. So the distributors were nice enough to put it into like a couple of theaters. So it was in the theaters for like two weeks. We were up in Stony Brook, was one of the theaters on Long Island. Uh, and then all the other theaters were in. A lot like, of times I've gone there on a pop brownie. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, listen, a lot of times I've been to Stony Brook yeah. theater on a pop brownie. Go ahead. I will say, speaking of that, it's funny. <laughs> the, the, the film that I probably, The Godfather is my favorite film, but the film I've probably seen under the influence the most would be Dazed and Confused. In the Mine movie was Natural Born Killers. Oh yeah, that's that's a Quentin movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie. Natural yeah. Born Killers on mushrooms oh, at the Comac movie theater. Oh my god! Oh, I'm you were climbing the walls. Different times. Yeah, I think it's a different, different times. Different times, right? Yeah, yeah. That was that whole thing. Yeah. Go to the movies. We're gonna have a uh, have a nice night out. Right. Go do that, right? Right. Because now it's totally different. Now you know everything is streaming. Yeah, well, that that was the one thing that kind of happened with this film. So, like, I was so into having it be released in theaters before it went to streaming because it, stream, it was streaming and released in theaters at the same time. My audience really wasn't so in tune with streaming yet. COVID <laughs> changed all that. I mean, you talk to people now that are 70 years old, like, yeah, we got a, we got Netflix, we got Amazon, we got Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. So they, they, weren't, they didn't even know what those things were. You know? Not at all. So it's almost like it did its thing when it came out, and now it's doing its thing again because people are finding it again because now the theaters really aren't you know, packed. But uh, yeah, it's like anything else. It's like you just want to get it out there and have people to see it. And I mean, if half the people hate it, that means that half the people like it. It's the truth. You know? Yeah, so that's the really, truth. That's you know. how you look at that. That's yeah. the truth. How was it filming different parts of the country? It was amazing. Part you of know, the reason going why I out there. It. Yeah, yeah. Because that was actually really intriguing to me. My daughter, when we went to, she goes to the University of Alabama. Uh-huh. 
I, I don't know if this is was part of your thing, but one of the things that we we went to went to Arizona and we went to the University of Arizona and Arizona State. So okay. there was a lot of traveling through there on one of those main highways. Was any of those films the thing you did? Did you capture in Arizona? Yeah, right. We were at Kings. Oh shit. King something. We we were we we went through Arizona. What it is we shot most of the film uh, in Syracuse. Picked up a couple of shots on Long Island. Um, trying to think where uh, you know obviously the bridge over there. Uh, but then we shot. What in, bridge was that? Is that Robert Moses? Yeah, yeah. To my yeah. girlfriend said that's Robert Moses. I said I don't think I don't know. If, is that yeah. Robert Moses? We yeah, wow, that's, that's, that's Robert Moses. Yeah, Robert Moses. Yeah. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But we shot in Sturgis, which is South Dakota. We shot in uh, Arizona, Utah, uh, and then we shot in California. What so, was the best part for you? If you look back at why, you know, making this film and everything that you've gone through, when you look back on it, what was the best part of making this film for you? Well, there's a lot of things I can say. I could probably think of like 10 of them, but I would say if I had to pick one, it was probably when we had our premiere in Syracuse and it's on a humongous screen. We had a blowout in Syracuse. It was great. And uh, they were just great to me, and I was great to them. I'm, you know, I'll shoot another movie up there the, with those people up there. It's like a second home. But we had a huge uh, IMAX theater. We shot this thing. We showed it on, and all the actors were there, and it was great. We did press for two days, or a day or two, whatever. But the best part about it is when I'm watching it, and I look over, and I see my father locked into this to this thing. It was like. This guy got himself a movie. This look guy, at this. look at this, this guy. guy. Got himself yeah, yeah, a movie, yeah. and he didn't do anything except yeah. just have an idea. Right, and one day, yeah. And it was great because the two movies that I've sat in the theater with my father is one was Unforgiven <clears throat> with Clint Eastwood, obviously, of course, and then it was this one. It was his movie, and that you know, so like, and and sitting in the theater with my mother, like those things were really like things that I think about. Like I'm not, I have a million stories I could tell about Jeff Fahey and Keith and Tom and. Penelope and all. I, Jeff I, is a huge actor. He's oh, a great, great actor. Jeff's great. He's a great totally. guy. He's, he's a good guy too. I mean, his his manager uh, is also the manager of Behringer now, and uh, a guy named Jeff Goldberg, who's a sweetheart too, who I become friends with. Just natural, just a natural actor yeah. that he did that. A couple of things. Can I ask you about the movie itself that I sure. want to just ask you about? So, at the time, now this is before George Floyd actually even came out, because mm -hmm. you're making this movie, right? So when you're writing this film, what made you want to do or some type of police brutality? Well, originally that wasn't my script. What happened was when I first got into this film and I got in with other investors, everybody has different opinions. So they felt like we have to have some sort of action scene and this and that. And originally I had it where after the fight where they meet me, Keith's leg just progressively gets worse. And talking about Keith because he had a, um, he had a, a bad, blood clot. Right, he had right? a bad, bad leg, leg. Right, he had yes. a bad leg. So I, I just made it, I wrote it where his, his leg progressively got worse. Um, there was another writer that got brought in through my, uh, my producer, Ryan, who's a talented guy, but completely different type of writer than me. And I was on the phone with him for like three hours and telling him, you know, listen, if you're going to look at this and you have some, give me some ideas, then this is what I'm looking for. And he kind of did like a whole rewrite and I didn't like anything about it and he didn't need to do that. So needless to say, I was pissed was a, a, an understatement. And I don't normally get pissed and I don't normally don't yell. I, I'll, I'll, I'll get things going my own, a different way. But so, when he rewrites that though, now who's directing him to rewrite that? My producer. So now, then it became like, all right, everything he wrote is out. I don't like anything. It was a waste of time. You know, not that he's not a talented writer, but we would write in two different type of movies and I wasn't changing the movie I was making so this scene was something like like no no we need it we need it we need it so we kept it so I changed it a little bit where and and then in the editing process it got changed even more 
So originally, when Keith gets beaten up by this cop who Jeff plays and all that sort of stuff, actually the investor Martin Sprock is one of the cops in the film who goes, you know, gives him the finger. Oh, at yeah. the, when when Beringer comes in right, to right. pick him up and yeah. bail him out or whatever it yeah, is yeah. to come get him, he does the right, right. He, he's that's he, him. He's Fahey's uh, uh, second yeah, yeah, command. That's first him. Command. Yeah, he's a good guy. He yeah, did yeah. a good acting job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought he was a real actor. I'm yeah, gonna be honest. Absolutely, he did a great yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. I think with acting, I told him grow a beard, you know, because they were saying something about putting him in. I said, just grow a beard. I think the I, female bartender that you had in one of the in one of the scenes, I don't remember exactly what. A pretty good actress too, as well. She did actually a really good oh, job. When, when me and Keith are in in the bar scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you and Keith are in the bar. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Oh, when it's when funny. Keith is saying, "Hey, I don't really want you fucking here, and right, I can't right, deal right, with you, right, whatever." Right. I got to tell you, you did a great job. Well, uh, thank you. Did a you. I really it. great job because you were really grounded. Your character is the exact same person you are, and it's a really great thing because in acting for knowing uh-huh. just what I said, like we never see Joe Cozo in a film, right? So nobody knows who that is. We've seen this Keanu Reeves type actor that is, play, right, you know, right. in my opinion, I think he try, he acts too much. We've seen that guy, but we've right. never seen. Nobody knows who Joe Cozo is. Give us Joe Cozo. We're all being <laughs> we're all being engulfed in Joe Cozo. You gave us Carmen Cangelosi. Yeah, well, and it was really great that you did that. I, I was really. Imp- I, I'm not even just because you're here. I'm not just. I appreciate that. Yeah, you really did a great. Well, well I job. don't have tattoos like Willie does. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you did a great job. But one of the one parts was the female bartender. I thought it was a great job, just like Penelope. She was a great cast. Well, that female bartender was one of my wardrobe women that really? we needed a bartender for, and she came in. She did a great job. I, I mean, my my crew was. I couldn't ask. We we were almost like an indie band running around. Where did you get the? It was the black female actress. That came out when you guys were eating. Oh, oh, oh! That's funny that you say that. Yeah, so yeah. now, who is she? So now she's an actress that when I was making my film, my agent that sends me out is from Hans Walters. He, you know, we have this cantankerous relationship, which is funny. It's almost like, yeah, it's like like we do it on purpose. But he was like, he knew that I was making a film. He's like, you better cast somebody in my film. You know, in your film from my agency. I was like, all right, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Again, like, I don't have to do this, but I like the guy. And yeah. If I can do it, why not? That's who works. you are. Right. So she came across the thing, and I saw that she was what I was looking for, and I saw her audition tape, and she was with that agency. I don't know if she's still with him. And I said, you know what, she's great. So before me wanting to do that, I have to make sure that she's the right person. So she came in, and I wanted people to kind of, you know, make it real almost – you know, where they could say a little bit. and they could, I'm not, you know, I'm not Quentin Tarantino where I'm, or Stephen King where I'm this writer where it's like, I'm almost like a songwriter. It's like, okay, we're working on this beat and then you come in with your bass line. I'm like, oh shit, it kind of, it's like a ripple effect becomes hopefully bigger and better than what I originally thought on the lyrics, you know? So she came in and then her, Keith and Tom just started like talking to shit. Like Keith, I said to Keith because I knew he sang, you're going to sing in this film. I got to tell you, it's another part too that I want to say about. Yeah. It's actually, it was about Buckeyes, the Ohio State Buckeyes, yeah, right? Yeah, Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. I never even heard of that. He did a great job. Yeah. Did you put that in there? What, about Keith singing? Yeah. No. How, I, does, I, that, how does that, because that was, first of all, a song that I never heard. Yeah. He did a great job doing it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, because I, I know I'm going to meet you now the right. next day, I'm like, how did this motherfucker come up with this song? For this actor, and it came out this great. If you ask most, I, I would think if you ask most uh, successful people, it's actually putting putting people in a position to succeed. So now I knew he sang. I've heard him sing. I talked to his manager, and I told him flat out, 
you know, um, you're going to sing in this film somewhere. He actually sings twice in the movie. Yeah, he does. Um, so when he came out, he was just doing that shit in rehearsal. And I said, all right, now I'm still acting in that scene as well, but I'm hearing him. And I go, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to sing that. And he's like, all right, great. So he just sang it. And, you know, I wanted these guys, I mean, these are professionals. You know? Did you ever have to, as a, as a director, say, hey, listen, Tom, do it a little, give me a little this way, or do you give them the leeway? The... I, I, I let them do it their way. I mean, they kind of know. I'm pretty hands-on. So I'm like, hey, listen, this is what I was thinking, blah, 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 blah. But I don't want to be in their ear. You know, I want them to just do what they do. I mean, you're an Oscar-nominated actor. You don't need me babbling all day. I think that comes with insecurity. I mean, I know what I was making, and I know what I could make in the editing room. You know, like there was a time where I was eating breakfast, and which is funny now that we're talking about it. I forget all these things. Uh, I, was, I was eating breakfast at our hotel, and Penelope and Tom were working on their scene, and there was a whole backstory. Originally, I went to go get Penelope, and she's like, I like the scene, I like the movie, but uh, I don't know if there's enough here for me to do. So I wrote this whole backstory about Penelope's character, her husband cheating on her, and all these sort of things, and, and she found out, and then he had a heart attack, and all this sort of stuff. And then when it was time to, like, when she was like, okay, great, I'm gonna come aboard, I like it. Then we all cut it out because it was like it didn't work. It was almost like I didn't write it to get her. I wanted her to feel comfortable, but it just, you know, if it would have worked, I would have kept it, but the, it didn't. The, one of the things that I, you know, wish that I wanted to see out of your character, mm -hmm. because your character comes through with, he's hiding something. Right. Right. He's got a story behind him. He's got a backstory why he wants to actually ride with them. And it's not really known until towards the end of the end of the movie why he wants to do that and who his real name is and right. whatever it may be. Was there ever a point that you, when you were writing this movie or when you were actually creating this, you know, and doing it, that we would be able to get maybe a little backstory we on, had, on, on why he's doing that and who he was yeah. and, 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 and did that come into play? And, and, you know, why didn't we see that? You know, that, that, that was one of the things that I wanted to see, like well, we, maybe a flashback to why the cops are so after this man. Well, we, we, I, I wrote something certainly and we filmed it and, uh. It's a whole backstory of why he gets into a brawl and he, in this brawl, he like almost kills somebody. And he, you know, now is kind of on the run because he has a record. And the person was uh, somebody rich, you know, racist. And it, that, that was like the kind of the racist thing that I had in the film where this guy's yelling at some black bartender saying stupid shit. And my character knows the bartender's like, hey, relax. And the whole thing happens and it escalates to something else. And we filmed it all and it, and it looked great. But... The thing is, when you're making a movie, it's almost like you're writing a song. You know, there's the ebb and flow, there's a thing. And sometimes, I actually heard Martin Scorsese say this because there's this stuff that you could you could rent, like uh, master classes and stuff like that. Yeah, on, on Facebook. Right, right. I, saw, I see it all, so all the time. So on the commercial, I'm not going to rent that because I don't, you know, that's just not me. And, um, but in the commercial, Martin Scorsese says sometimes um, something that makes you want to make the film is is the thing that, doesn't even survive the film once you make it. Now it's, like, it's kind of like, wow, that's true because I've come across that where, like even in this new film, I had this whole opening scene that opens a certain way and this is it and this is it and this is kind of like triggered everything else for this next film. And then I just did a rewrite and I'm like, snip, that's out. Uh, unfortunately so, for me, and then this is just a fan of the show, uh -huh. of, of the movie, uh -huh. your character was the best character. In my opinion. Oh, I appreciate that. Your character was the most intriguing character, and your character was the most character that I wanted to know more about. Well, if there was a sequel, it would probably be like him, like with a completely type of different type of movie. It wouldn't be like that same type of... It would like, you know, it would be like probably follow Willie, catch up with him somewhere. 
he's not with Becky, and maybe he's into some crazy shit with some other people he's trying to get. And now you find out maybe some backstory of him. That's but but that's thought. what. But that's. But but again, and and this is just. I mean, it's 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 good and it's bad for you. And, and I'll tell you why. It's, okay. it, it's please good, tell yeah. me. No, in my opinion, as a as a fan of, of just you know a spectator of absolutely the thing on, on outside looking in, you know, and of course I'm looking at it as a whole different ball game because I know I'm going to meet you, right? And so I'm I'm really I'm watching the movie. You're studying it a lot tighter. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm on it. I'm writing notes. You know, yeah, I have yeah. look. This is I had my girlfriend I wrote notes last night. I had to have a text to me because I forgot I'm at my house this morning. So she had to text me my notes. Don't get too detailed. I may forget some of the things myself. Yeah, yeah. So that that's what I'm saying. So. That being said, uh-huh. I, when, when your character got introduced and I started seeing it, I fell in love with your character. I oh, said, this thank is you. The, I, I like this guy. I love all about him. And it wanted me more. I wanted more. Well, that's that's when at the end of the movie, when it was all said and done, that's what I was yearning for. So, so the good part is the character was great. In my opinion, though, the bad part... I, I needed more out of this guy. Well, that's, I wanted more. Well, out that's of this good guy. then. That's that's good from a character that you want more yes. from him. Yes, that's a good thing. I'll tell you something about the film too that you just reminded me of. Again, as we talk about this, it jars other things loose. So when I went to shoot stuff at Sturges, I, I originally I wrote a fictional bike rally, like they, it, it, it was like something in Bakersfield because that's where Clint Eastwood Monkey movie had the brawl was in Bakersfield. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, something yeah. they always talk about Bakersfield. That bike rally. Uh, listen, are you ready for this? Okay, just here. Sure. You ready? Yeah, it's right here. Motorcycle rally. Uh-huh. Did you have to have the people just be there for the scene, or was there a real bike rally? Well, half of that rally that you see, where you see me and Tom talking at the end of the movie, that's yeah. shot in Syracuse. But when you see Tom walking through crowds... Yes, uh, that one, that, that part. That's that's in Sturges. Okay, so that's I, a real bike rally. I got to know, before I even met Tom, and before, well, actually, I completely forgot about this, I tried to get uh, people over at Sturges involved with the film, and I ended up meeting... Uh, a gentleman who owns the Buffalo Chip, this guy named Woody, and he owns the Buffalo Chip. It's the biggest bar in. in, in oh, it's uh, a chip. Yeah, right. It, there was a sign it said "Chip." It, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah. So that bar, I got to know the owner because I met him. And then here's another thing too. So I met him. He liked me. He was coming to New York to talk to uh, uh, some channel about like doing a reality show on his on his bar. So he goes, oh, "I'm actually in New York. I'll be there like 11 o'clock at night on like a Monday." And I'm like, "Fuck! All right, I got to work the next day." But I go in there. I meet him. We hit it off. I become good friends with him. And when it was time to shoot the movie, I already knew him. So, because I, I did this stuff probably even before I met Billy Joel or maybe when I first met Billy, like years earlier. And we always stayed in touch. So when it's time to shoot all that stuff, I already knew him. So when I took Tom there, Tom now knows him. His wife knows him. We've all become really close friends because of what we shot there. Um so I already knew certain things at the chip. I couldn't shoot like, you know, I could shoot around the chip, but I couldn't shoot like uh, Kid Rock performing and stuff like that. It's licensing problem to Willie Nelson performing. But I could shoot them walking around and take signs and stuff. So that's really what it is. And as weird as, yeah, that's it. There it is. It's a great place. I've been there like five years in a row. Uh, I've never been there previous to that. And they just- it's just, a lot of people right there. Oh, it's- It's, it's insane. It's insane. It's great. Um, so it was like one of those things that all these little things kind of keep adding up to different things, you know? And and with Tom being kind of a cool guy and his wife being a cool person, it's like we got to know, we got to hang out there all the time. But what's really interesting in that, if you if you notice, uh, we we were able to, I couldn't bring Tom's bike to Sturges. I just wanted Tom to walk through Sturges and kind of to show that he's literally walking through Sturges. As I came off the, off the plane, um, 
to go to Sturgis uh, with my producer. He was getting to rent a car, and I happened to look, and I saw a guy picking up his girlfriend on the same bike, same, which is an odd color, odd style bike of Tom's bike in the movie. And I said, holy shit, I should go over to this guy and say, hey, listen, can we borrow your bike for a couple of days? I'll get Tom riding through, you know, the, the Badlands, everything that's, you know. So I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bother this guy. I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to go over. I go over to the guy. I go, hey, man, I'm making a movie, blah, blah, blah. I give him the rundown. He's like, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Calls me two days later. He's like, hey, you still want to do this? And I'm like, no problem. So my producer, uh, Berenger, and his wife were in a car. Uh, this guy brought his bike with his wife or his girlfriend who we picked up and then me and my DP were on another bike no helmets because South Dakota's you know no helmets I noticed that yeah I noticed that some scenes yeah Barron's wearing a helmet right. and in some scenes he's not wearing a helmet right well, we I wanted, noticed that we too we wanted to be able to use him there and then here and yeah, it's yeah. kind of different states have different laws so we ended up shooting we rode like 300 miles that day in like 100 degree weather it was nuts but uh we got some of the best riding shots of Tom in on this other guy's bike. You have to pay him to do that? I don't even know if we paid him. I think we just went, all went out to lunch together. We were sweating. We ended up seeing this, it was almost like a movie, like a little cafe in the middle of a desert when we were going through South Dakota. And we went in there for, for just to get like a lunch and, and something to drink. And Tom's sitting down, just kind of chilling there in a booth. And my DP's like, holy shit, just stay there. Goes out, gets the car. So when you see Tom drinking his water in like a booth towards the end on his way home, yep. That's no lighting. That's nothing. We just took the light from the outside of the of the sun coming in, and my DP just shot. He was like, Tom, just sit there and, like, hold this cup of water. And, and it's like all these little things you pick up along the way, you know, are accidents that come from hard work. At least that's my thought. Is there a lot more than what we know, you know, that you as a director has to know about? Like, you have to, you're the GC of the project, yeah. basically, right? Mm -hmm. You talk about lighting. How important is that to make that movie and having somebody on set and trusting, like one of the shows that I love is Ozark. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, with Jason Bateman. Uh -huh. And the lighting that this guy does, you could just tell when you're looking, when you you have to look for it and you have to really know. Right. And it's one of the best, how he does the cin cinematography and how they have the lighting and everything like that. You know, all these little things that people just watching the movie that don't realize, mm -hmm. how is it, how important is it to have a grasp on all of that. Well, it's always important for the lighting to be good, even if it's just generally lit. You know, if it's just lit correctly, because you could, like, if everything's, you'd rather have something very lit, because you could always make it darker in post, you know, when you're doing the film, but you can't make something dark that's not lit correctly lighter. He does wedding photography. So that's you know. He, yeah. Right. So he knows he knows all about that. So, so. But now, there's also styles in that. Like if you watch The Godfather, Gordon Willis, the DP, the camera guy with Coppola, they have a certain look. Everything's very dark and rich and old and because it's shot in a different time. Then you got a guy like Alejandro who did The Revenant, you know, with uh, with Leo, that he's got a different sort of look to it, you know. Some people have that style to their their thing. Um, as much as I love, as much as Clint Eastwood's my man, he shoots a very simple type of style he just when he's in it he's just got a tremendous presence but even in the movies he hasn't been in like um the one with sean penn and and uh and kevin bacon where sean penn's uh I mean, tim robbins uh, sean penn's uh, daughter gets killed who's that what movie is that uh, i can't think of it anyway but even in something like american sniper that bradley cooper's in that clint eastwood directed or even these uh these that's who you look like no that's funny 
A lot of people say you're Bradley Cooper. Uh, when I when I was growing my ah, beard and my hair long, now let's talk. somebody said it to me once. You're getting a lot of girls with the Bradley Cooper thing. Be honest. Stop with the bullshit. Absolutely not. Uh, Yo, yeah, oh, you're so full of shit. You're so full of shit. What are you talking about? How do you about? deal with this guy? Oh, every come day? on. What are you talking about? You're too humble. Give us the goods. This Not is what you're humble. here for. Stop with the nonsense. Come on. Who, come on. You, if somebody says he looked like Bradley Cooper. Hey, listen, I, 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 you know what my comment is? I hope, is it a compliment? And they're like, yes. I'm like, oh, thanks. Okay. I mean, you know. I, I, you have a girlfriend, you said before. I do. From California. Yeah. How is it having a relationship from West Coast to East Coast? How is that even happening? It's not easy, but it's, you know, you make things work. You yeah. know, if you want to make them work, that's the best thing to do. And I met her promoting uh, my film at a... In Sturges, and she was like an on-air person, you know. Person, she was also a, a rider, a, a motorcycle rider herself. Was she in the movie at all? No, she didn't. No, know her yet. no, 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 no. I didn't know her yet, and uh, and then we just kind of clicked, and it just kept working out, you know. I've, uh, you I gotta know. tell you, what a great life. <laughs> What a great life. Look at you. You have a girlfriend who lives on the West Coast, so it's better than that. I just got back. I was actually. It's better than that. What are we talking about? I got back on Monday. Yeah, I know. Look at you. So you said before, though, about having new projects, Uh that you're doing a new film, that you have something coming out. So Mm -hmm. why don't you tell us a little bit about that, if you can? Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it. I don't want to get too deep into it, because, you know, it's always changing. But uh, this is something completely different from American Dresser. Like, when it comes to filmmaking, I don't really want to make American Dresser and then something else like American Dresser. It, to me, it becomes redundant and boring uh, and kind of defeats the whole purpose of why I want to make a movie and different things. So when I see a guy like Rob Reiner, who like makes Misery and then makes When Harry Met Sally and then... Misery, know, great movie. Yeah, Princess Bride and then makes the uh, the one with uh, the one with Jack Nicholson, you know, yeah, you can't handle the truth. You know, it's like... he. I almost like directors that you're like, oh, he made this and that? Yeah, you know, totally. Two cool. different ends of the spectrum. Right, right. So I kind of like that. So this one's a little bit different end of the spectrum. It's kind of, I kind of tried to do what Mario Puzo did when he wrote The Godfather. I tried to take a lot of real stuff and make a fictional story out of it. So basically this story is is, um, is a serial killer on Fire Island. And it's during it's during um, uh, Fourth of July weekend. They think he comes up every Fourth of July weekend. So people would say to me, is it like the Gilgo murders? And I was like, well... No, but I guess I could understand why somebody would say that. You know, it's not that sort of film. So it, it's basically, I think of it like a Silence of the Lambs meets like Jaws. Because when I say that about Jaws, it's because there's a killer on an island who's actually in the water circling the island. So what's scarier than that? A killer on the actual island. Not who, in the water. Not in the water. And there's still those same things where they don't want to close the beaches because of, you know, COVID I, and these I things. talked to you on the phone before we did this, uh-huh. and you said that about... I remember now we talked about this, mm-hmm. and I think it's absolutely genius because there's so much... There's so much to film on Fire Island. People oh, yeah. don't know anything really about it unless you're here, you live on the island, right. or you have a lot of money, and you're able to come there right. and see it. But just putting that, doing that on the island like that, on Fire Island, I think is genius in itself. And I don't really see any movies that have anything to do with Fire Island. Right. And I, and I think Fire Island's kind of like its own little hidden gem, you know? Like when yes. people think about Catalina Island in California, that's their island, you know? Um, I don't think there's really anything that like Fire Island, to be honest. And I've traveled quite a bit, and I'm sure you have as well. It's like, you know, this is a barrier island that goes from, you know, Nassau County all the way out east. And it's like, this is 
There's beaches all along these beaches. It's like 15, 16 beaches. Can I tell you a quick story? So sure. I'm trying to get into acting. Like I said, this is back okay. in the early 2000s. All right, I'll cast you in something, yeah, yeah. all right? <laughs> so I'm trying to get into it, and I, I'm sending out my headshots, all these black and whites. I got a goatee, whatever it is. Right, and, uh, goatee. Then, all right, now go yeah. clean shave. Yeah, do a yeah, clean yeah, shave yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I got whatever. I'm, I'm sending all of them out. Right. Every one of them out, black and white. Do you have any leftover ones? Of course I do. Okay, yeah, good, yeah. Good. And I'm, I, I, I get a phone call. And it's this guy that's trying to make a movie uh-huh. on Fire Island, right? And he starts talking to me, and I have no idea, really, the differences. You know, I'm really, this is, again, early 2000s. And he goes, the only thing is, is I see you, and and, and where we're going to do this is on Cherry Grove. <laughs> I don't even know what Cherry Grove is at the time. I don't even know the differences mm-hmm. of Cherry Grove, not Cherry Grove. And he goes, are you okay with that? I said, why wouldn't I be? I don't understand. Right. And he goes, well, do you know what Cherry Grove is? I go, no, I never even, I go, ah, I, I know a couple of bars out in Fire Island that I get trashed and I'm trying to pick up girls <laughs> and I miss the boat and I have to pay $70 to come back. And <laughs> you know, water taxi, right, a water taxi. Yeah, water taxi. taxi. Right. But other than that, I don't know what Cherry Grove is. Is right. Cherry Grove, you know, he goes, well, it's 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 the gay spot. And, right. You know, you're going to be a gay actor and you're going to do that. And I said, what the? Is this what I'm doing? Is this Speaking what I'm like? There he is. There he is. Oh, my God. Who yeah, is that guy? Is, yeah, that, is that your son? Yeah, there's a guy. There's a guy. And, uh, I, I, I didn't know your son was that scumbag. old. You're going to get this. You're going to get it for this, you piece of shit. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, so that that's the thing. So wow. I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, of course. And then I went, I auditioned. I didn't get the part anyway. But it's just the fact of... Yeah. A Fire Island, and it just br- it brings back a memory to well, me. Well, you know the thing about about this particular film is like I want to show that like the differences in the beaches. You know, like uh, Cherry Grove has their own vibe. You know, and then you got Sales Haven; they got a, a different vibe. And then you got Ocean Bay Park; they have their vibe. And Ocean Beach has their vibe. And then you know, Kismet has their vibe. So it's like I almost want to do it where it's like. You're edu- not educating. I guess that's lack of a better word. No, it's good. It's true. You know, though. it's like kind of showing people that. You know these different places on this one particular island. You know, do you know how many people would want to go? If let's just say you make this movie, is uh-huh. it a film? It's film. Let's just say you make this film and it is a huge, huge success. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people are going to want to go to Fire Island and didn't re- doesn't really know too much about it, and it's just based off of your film? That's why I'm saying I think it's genius because people still haven't done it. I would think it would de- even just the name. Yeah. If you called it Fire Island, I probably wouldn't call it that because I don't want to be too on point. You know, um, I'm kind of kicking around titles for it. It's almost like a song. Like, I, you know, you're writing all these things and you think, all right, here's the song title. And then you start writing the lyrics. You're like, all right, this title doesn't work anymore. This doesn't so, work with this. You know, so then, I mean, I've had a couple of titles with this. And, uh, you know, it's almost like I was saying about the Martin Scorsese thing. It's like certain things that get you motivated may be something that gets cut out, you know, in the process. What about, though, talk to me about the business in itself, though. Okay. How different it is from, say, 2017 to now when we have COVID, okay. right? And now everybody's streaming. It's all streaming. You have Netflix. You have Hulu. I don't think it really. I, I mean, my girlfriend and myself, we used to love going to the movies. That was the thing. Smoke a joint mm-hmm. in the parking lot. Right. And then we go into the movie. Right. Chill out. Chill eat out. Eat some popcorn. Fall asleep. And that's it. Right. That, great movie. Great yeah, movie. Yeah, great movie. Because now they have the reclining seats. Right. And I can't, I can't last more I than mean, 10 minutes. You know. You got me in there smoking a joint with bonbons and raisinets and all this ice cream and all this shit. Food coma, you're out, you know. And before the movie even starts, you have all these premieres and all these introductions and all these things. And by the movie starts, I'm done. But whatever. Anyway, 
How different now is it that you're making a movie that you have to now consciously think of that you're now making a movie for a different type of audience and a different type of thing? Does that ever come into play? Is it, let's get this movie and hopefully Netflix picks it up as yeah, opposed to... you want to look at those things. You, you want distributors to to buy it before you make it. That's the key. That would be great. I mean, that's what you do with, like, say, Leonardo DiCaprio's making a movie. Uh, you know, Paramount's already behind it and doing all this sort of stuff. So you, you always would prefer that, you know, that you're going to make a movie knowing that your distributor's Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or whoever the streaming service is. But, I mean, that's the goal of this next one that I'd like to do. But with that being said, I actually don't think it's that different from when TV started coming out. Because if you think about it, back in the day there was all movies, people didn't have TVs. Then if you if you go back and see the history of things, and I've watched this quite a bit, once TV came out, the movie business got nervous. So they started putting out epics. Epics. So if you had to go to a movie, you had to go see it in the movie theater because it's an epic. And then what happened was people got used to TV. And then cable came in. And then all this sort of shit started changing. So all the streaming services are eventually going to be like cable where you go, all right, let me get the gold package. Uh, what comes with the gold package? Netflix, Hulu, and this. Okay. And then let me get the extra gold package. Well, that comes with Amazon Prime too. So it's all... It I don't always, know if I agree with you with that. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's why, coming that way. You want to know why? Because it was the excitement of a movie. It was the no, excitement I of... I agree with you. You can't watch... Because now all of a sudden, like say Dune. And I, I, I right. you know doing the movie yeah that came out exactly the same time on hbo max that it did in the movie theater so what am i going to do am i going to spend 25 dollars and you all, that also was coming out during covid so once covid is done whenever they decide you, but do you think that that's going to be the case because I, do. I don't think that's going to be the I case i do because i don't think they wanted to put a james bond in in like the way they put out james bond they held it for two years during covid it was supposed to come out like april and you think COVID. so eric you think that i see you agreeing over there no, i know that yeah, I know that they waited on James Bond. I don't think things are ever going to be normal again. I think I don't. I think I there's a new. I think there's a new normal. Yes. But the movie business will never let the movie business because if you notice what happened, it, when something happens, is a ripple effect to something else. So like you couldn't go to the movies. So what they end up doing? They end up having drive-ins. They haven't been driving movie theaters around here for. Years. 20 years. Yeah, 30 years. Right, yeah, whatever. Make sure it was the last one I remember. But what I've were they doing? To. They were doing driving movies of uh, Goonies and things to go out with your family. And now all of a sudden, driving movies were kind of being shown around. I mean, people react based off what's the reality of it at the moment. So right now, the reality is there's still mandates in the city. There's still mandates here. There's still mandates there. People agree. People disagree. People are losing their jobs. I mean, to think that a person is going to lose their job in a hospital that was working, you know, trying to cure and help people are losing is is mind-boggling with that being said eventually there's going to be some sort of new normal whatever that's going to be and whatever it's going to be the movie business makes a lot of money in movie theaters do you because people making money the first week is huge do you and i want to talk about that for a second uh-huh. but do you think covid helped or is a negative in regards to what you're doing in your life right now in regards to making a movie, starring in a movie, directing a movie? Has it helped or is it a negative COVID-19? I, I think, I mean, I was talking with my producer of my film, my producer Ryan. Uh, he was working on another film. He's like, it's tough because you're actually paying somebody on the set like a decent amount of money every week to kind of take tests on people that could, that could potentially shut your movie down. 
She goes, I'm actually paying somebody that could possibly shut my movie down. Oh, it's crazy. So it's a I didn't crazy even think of that. Right. So it's a crazy, you know, catch twenty two. That business see the thing about that business is it's very catch twenty two. You know, to be an union actor, you have to do union work. But to do union work, you have to be a union actor. So how I mean, so what do we And that what was the thing, right? Then? Isn't that was that that was when you start coming up, right? right? It's like you wanna have that that role that you actually have a speaking role that you right. can get into the union and you can do that union work. And then there was people that, no, you don't want to be union yet because then you can't get that kind of work to get you. It's crazy how right. it is. Well, that's what I felt like when I was going through the process and getting back to what we were kind of talking about over the last couple of minutes and stuff. It's like, I don't, I, I don't have time for all that other bullshit. You know, like to me, like I want to go make a film, you know, if you could raise money, it's like any business. You, you know what it is? Uh, making a film as an independent filmmaker is like buying a house. You have enough money to go buy the house, you go buy the house. Thank you. I don't need the bank. I go buy a house. Um, if you don't have enough money to buy a house, you need to have somebody to co-sign this, and you need to have that. And, you, and that's what actors are. They're co-signers. You know, Tom Berenger's a name. Bruce Dern's a name. So now all of a sudden it brings, whether it's a private investor or it's a, uh, or if it's a production company like Netflix or something like that, you know, that's your credibility now that's that's those are the people those are those co-signers so i look at it like from a very contractual place because that's kind of what i'm very familiar with and it seems to be like that's if you have money you can go do what you want i go hit the lottery for 80 million i could do whatever i want i don't have to worry about um this person not calling me back or that uh, 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 uh leo i want to offer you 20 million for this movie uh okay let me see the script you know, so it really comes down to money always, but you want to make sure if you, you got to remember something as a film. If somebody's going to invest in your film, they're with you throughout that film. So money is one thing, but like, you don't want to have money from somebody that you're on a different plane with somebody with because you're going to be battling the whole time, and it can make a great situation the worst situation you're involved with. Where are you in the process of creating this new film? Are, are, are you still writing it? Are you I, still in the process of that? Well, when I was at my, when I was in uh, Northern California where my girlfriend lives, I was actually just doing a, a quick uh, rewrite that took like five weeks just to do it. Um, and I, I feel That's very... So life. Look at you. I'm going to visit my well, girlfriend things in California were, things for five were slow. weeks. Things were yeah. slow and, yeah. and, 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 and cold management. here. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, sure, sure, sure. Um, but sure. It, it worked out, you know. So I was I was able to do that and be alone and, and, and kind of... While well, she was working and I was doing my stuff. And uh, so I think the script is in a great place to start getting it to talent. And I have some money involved already. So it just sucks because one of my investors, my main investor, has some health issues. So... I don't want to be bothering this guy with, you know, hey, you want to make another film? I'd rather you just be healthy and go do what you have to do. So in a weird way, it's almost like I'm starting from scratch again. But you're always starting from scratch unless you go out and make $100 million. Do you have actors, and you don't have to say any names, for, I, but do you have names, do you have people that you already know that's going to want, you want to fill this role and that role and this? Uh, I wrote things, I mean, this this this, uh, this one is, uh, you know, like like I said, like A Silence of the Lambs or uh, A Mirror of uh, Easttown, which is something that was on HBO as a miniseries with, great. with Kate Winslet. Yeah, it was great. Oh, yeah, great. So I, I'm, I want, I mean, I want a good female lead. It's a female lead that's got to go undercover uh, during Fourth of July weekend and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I wrote it with Jennifer Lawrence in mind. Am I getting Jennifer Lawrence? Absolutely not. I'm going to make out with Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. I'm not, I don't, I, I don't even Look know. Look at you. Look at you. Look at this guy. This I, don't even, I don't even know if I'm going to be in this film, to be honest. So, I, I don't know. It's like, uh, you know, this one is uh, a little How different. How important is that for you? 
Not that important. So the acting thing is not something. Not that I don't love acting. I love I love the right role. Like here's a perfect example. If you ever watch The Departed with Leonardo DiCaprio, like he's the lead. He's, to me, I would want to play the Mark Wahlberg role. You know, uh, who shoots Matt Damon at the end. Yes. If I'm watching the other, mo- I can't think. Of, um, what's I actually referred to it earlier? The the Chaz Palminteri movie. Oh, uh, Bronx Tale. Bronx Tale. Like to me, watching Bronx Tale, I wouldn't want to be anybody in that movie other than the guy who shoots Chaz Palminteri at the end. Yes. There's no dialogue. So to me, it's almost like what role do I think I could be the best at? You know, and that's what it comes down to. It's not dialogue. I mean, I like I said, Clint Eastwood's my man. A guy stares at a camera and, and you know that's the movie poster yeah exactly and god bless him i love the guy so uh you know to me it's not it's, it's almost like it's different it's a different headspace because even when i was editing my film you know i'd be in my house you know looking over all the dailies and stuff and i'm watching scene i, I remember like it was yesterday i'm watching a scene between tom and keith like a rough cut of a scene and i'm like kind of like lost myself for a second that i was watching something else you know like i was watching something on cable and then all of a sudden I come into the scene, I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, all right. It, it kind of took me out of it a little bit. So I actually have to look at myself as a completely different person. So as an actor, if it's not something that I feel like I really want to play, like I wanted to play that role, and it actually, I don't know if half of it became an obsession, like not so much to play that role, but to be like, you know what, fuck you, don't tell me what role I'm going to play. I've raised all this money, I've done all this work, you know, you're going to come in and listen and start dictating shit to me, especially when I know this project better than anybody. And I'm not, I don't know everything, you know, but I knew this project and this character. And, and when you're bringing actors to me that like, you know, and I hate, to say, I hate to name actors or I would because, you know, you hear shit, but you don't know if they're even legitimate conversations. Yeah. So like to say, well, this guy from this TV show they wanted to do and he wasn't right and screw him. And, I, you know, that's what I was. That's what I heard. I didn't hear that from their agents or those actors. So I wouldn't do that to them because uh, it's hard to, to be to be employed in this business, you know? But I just knew at that point, that particular role I was playing it, and either, you know, you either gotta figure that out in your own head or move on, so. So uh, so going back to American Dresser, so if people wanted to download it, right, it's on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I looked for it on, you said something about Apple, iTunes or whatever, but I looked for it last night on iTunes yeah. because I have an Apple okay. phone. You could see how much money you spent on all these movies. I spent like like six thousand dollars on buying movies now at <laughs> right. a library. It's crazy. I know it is crazy. And there'll be a new format that you're gonna have to go buy. Yeah, yeah it was a, it was the DVDs now. now it's, it was VHS. The VHS now is the DVD. DVD to that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so that being said, though, if people wanted to, you know, to watch this, how do they go about doing it? Is this just Amazon Prime? How do they go about I, buying? I it? mean, the, the stuff that I sent you was basically uh, what I got from the distributor. I said, "Is there any, any places you want me to know?" So I know it's on Tubi, it's on Pluto, it's definitely on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think it's on um, maybe even on YouTube. I don't even know. I'm not sure. But this is yeah. That that's the site. Uh, that's that's the homepage we just we just made. AmericanDresser.com. And, and you don't realize, right? Because just going, you know, really now dissecting. I mean. Every single thing that we're looking at right now, you approve, right? Yeah. That page, yeah. the next page, mm-hmm. the trailer. Yeah. You know, to make a trailer, you know, for people that don't realize or know anything about it, how, how, what about that? How does, what comes into play to make the trailer? Well, everybody has different sensibilities of what they're watching. You know, that's why you want a, a, an editor that kind of gets things the way you see things. I, I, the first editor that we had was a nice guy. I, I like him a lot, but he edited it almost like a, an ABC family movie and I was and we were going to do a rap party you know after shooting everything and show the tr- the crew and the actors that were still there Tom and Keith the film 
and uh, like, a, like a little trailer just to get everybody all excited about what they just worked on. And when I saw it, I said, this is not right at all. I don't like the music. I don't like this. It looks like an ABC family movie. I was not happy. How so, do you go about, because that's, it's, you know, and this is, this is the business part of it. Well, but now like, you have to go and tell this guy, listen, I don't like your work. We're going to do something else. Is yeah. that difficult to do a conversation or you don't care? No, because I gave that person a chance to do what they felt was right. And, and I, you know, that's what I think everybody kind of deserves. You deserve a chance to kind of figure out, you know, let me see what you got. And I got it and nobody liked it. And I saw it. And my producer, Ryan, was like, oh, boy, he's not going to he's not going to like this. And uh, I didn't like it at all. And I told him I, and I and I went in there and said, listen, I'm not I don't like this, but. So now this is what I want you to do. Do this exactly the way I want you to do it and use this song. And they did it. He used that song. I mean, that's what we played. Yeah, it's great. So there's not, I'm not really here to like, you know, beat up somebody for having a different view. This is a very subjective business. Like, you know, I may like something, you may like something. We could be best friends. And I'd be like, I love this group. And you're like, I hate that song. It doesn't mean we're not best friends anymore. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's a subjective. There is no right answer. It's a team sport. Don't get me wrong. But there is no clock running out and uh, you won, I lost, and this is right and you're wrong, you know? The only thing that's really a winner or loser if you go make a ton of money or you don't make any money. That that's Other than that, it's very subjective. Video. How successful would you say that that this movie was for you? Well, I was, this, I at was, the end of the day, yeah. be honest, you know, you put a lot of time into it, you put a lot of money into it, you mm -hmm. have a lot of people backing you, you want to make a new film. Of course. And, you, and I think that you have a great start of a portfolio to say, hey, listen, look at all these actors I had and look at this I made mm -hmm. and I want to try to do something new with new actors. But at the end of the day, how successful would you rate and be honest with the movie? I would say, honestly, every film that I make will never reach what I hope it can reach. So like, did this film do good? Yeah. Did, was it life-changing money? No. Yeah, But I wasn't really... You know what it is? I don't look at it like a struggling filmmaker. I look at it just, I want to make sure people, distributors get paid. I mean, distributors are happy with it and they like me. They like them. We have a good relationship and my investors get paid. And so, the actors and who the act acted, and, they got paid and right. they actually had a job. Right. And, and, I, and I, they had I, a good time. And I want every actor that's in that film. I, and I, I feel confident I could be wrong. I mean, you'd have to ask them, but I feel from my point of view, I feel like I could reach out to any actor that I work with in that film. And, and if there was something in this new film, and then they were available that they'd want to do it because they had a good experience. Do you have a time frame about this new film that you have to get out? Like, you know, well, do, you, do you sit there and say, hey, listen, it's been four years since I got the the other movie out. Now I'm four years into this. No, I, I think it's it's like films don't need to come out quick. They need to come out good. So, That's a good point. Yeah. So, but I mean, this particular film has to be shot in a certain season. So if it is going to be shot, I would probably shoot it. I'd probably get all the, like I did with Sturges, I'd get all the aerial stuff, all the stuff during the summer, packed bars and all these things, and then I would probably shoot the main stuff, which is called principal photography, after after the season, where nobody's there, like two weeks after Labor Day, hopefully, and nobody's on the beach, and then I could shoot all those other things with some extras, and then you just put it all together, you know? It, it's... It, when you're producing something like that, there's so many moving parts. There's so many things that come together. How much has COVID affected the way that you do things now to make a movie, say, 2017 to 2022? I would say my process isn't different. I would just say that I'd ra I would prefer things to be a little more settled. 
before I go into this, because the last thing is, uh, so say hypothetically we get a great cast and we get, you know, like a guy like John Hamm to be in it or and, and like, uh, I don't even know who would play the lead or whatever. And you get that sort of, you know, that sort of type of actor and, and Sebastian Stan, who plays Tommy Lee in the Pam and Tommy thing. Say you start getting those actors and all of a sudden somebody in your, the lowest person on your crew gets COVID, it shuts the whole movie down now. Or a new variant comes out. Or a new variant, whatever it is. Yeah, now all yeah, of a sudden yeah. it just shuts, the, the movie gets shut down. Now all of a sudden like, I don't know if these actors are coming back. They got a team of people that have them scheduled for other things. And, you know, so it's oh, it's, it's almost mess. like... It's a mess. I, I, I hate to kind of... It's, it's weird because American Dresser took so long to make, but it got made, and it got made with the right people at the right time, at the right place. You know, I couldn't have asked for it to be any better... You know, with the people I got, the, the meeting Billy Joel, uh, having Billy Gibbons doing music on it. You know, these people. You know, so it's like, you know, I think about it, it's like it, it worked out. So I've never, it's never worked out for me when I try and stick a square peg in a round hole. So I always try and be like, all right, I'm working my ass off to get this thing made and I want it to be great because I want, not because, like I said, I need a pat on my shoulder or I need a couple more zeros in my bank account. It's because I want to entertain people. Like, I love going to a concert and loving it. I love going to a movie. You know, when Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood came out, I couldn't wait to see it because it's Quentin. You know, now there's a, a Scorsese movie coming out uh, maybe next year with Leo and about something else. And it's just like, that's what it's about for me. You know, I'm I, if, it, if it doesn't motivate me or make me excited, then I don't want to do this. And I'm certainly not the type of person that's going to be like, I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to do this. Like if I'm telling you it, if I'm if I'm actually saying it to you, whether it's you that I just, you know, kind of met or or a friend that I've known for 25, 30 years, for me to say it, I've thought about it a lot. Yeah. You know, I'm not just I'm not I'm not talking to to hear myself speak. What are you um are you on uh, active on social media? Not really, which is probably the worst thing for me. I can't believe it. What are you doing? I, I mean, know. it's 2022. I know, I know. And, and you're going I out need there. an assistant. <laughs> no, but, but here's the thing. In 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 that's a catch 22. In one aspect, it's horrible because in the movie business that you're in, yeah. you want to be out there and you want to do that. But then the second thing is, you don't deal with any of the bullshit. And right. it's all and and I got to tell you, ninety percent of it is all bullshit on social yeah, media. Yeah, that's, that's the way I look at it. It's, it's to me, I don't I, like I said to you before. I only get so much time in a day. The last thing I want to do is start going on Facebook and looking up this person, that person, this, and seeing what's going on. And then I go, well, all right, this person said something really nice about the film. I want to comment, but then if I don't, if I comment to them and I don't comment to somebody else because I'm not on it for three more months, yeah. Now I'm a like, you know, I'm the dick, and I'm yeah. like, I don't want to be that. I like, I, I pre trust me when it's brought to my attention. I love everything, whether even if somebody's like, oh, well, this was like, you know, you get people that are like, you know, that don't like it. And I go, well, I get, pre you know, I don't, I don't get too high or I don't get too low. You mm -hmm. know, like if somebody said, you're the best director I've ever seen, is the, I'm not going, whoa, geez, well, all right, I agree with that person. Or, or this movie sucked and I didn't like it. It was boring. I don't really agree with that either. Yeah. So to me, it's like, I'm just trying to do the best I can. And if, it, and, and if that works for some people, great, you know? So again, American Dresser. American Dresser. Prime Video. Prime Video. Right. That I mean, to me, that was the easiest way that to get yeah, it. Yeah, like I said, and everybody Pluto, has Prime. Yeah, Pluto, Tubi, you know, whatever. I think, I, like I said, I I wasn't sure if it was on iTunes. I, I'm not really looking for my film, but I mean, anybody that would like to see it, I'd love for them to see it. And you're not on social media at all. No, no, <laughs> no. It's horrible. You're on Tinder. No. You're not married, right? You have a girlfriend. Right, okay, so right. you have a girlfriend. No kids. No kids. How do you think of, you know, before I let you go here, 50 years old. Uh -huh. Sorry, I had to say. Why are you throwing my age around? Because this is one of the few people that I have in front of me that I'm younger than, finally. Right, 50 years old. This guy's 30. 
50 years old, I'm 48. Okay, so no kids. Do you want to have kids or is that something that is just... You don't think I about. don't get into my personal life shit like that. Okay, yeah, all right. I'll just yeah, say, I'll talk I mean, about that. But I will say this: I have a niece that's my do- like my daughter. She's going to be twenty years old that I love more than anything in the world. So, you know, like the way I look at it is, you, you live your life your cards to your chest. Yeah, you, know, you, li- you live your life the way you think is the best to live it, and you know, and uh, what do you, you know, do? What do you do for fun? I get together with some friends and just go out and just chill out and stuff like that. Like I, you know, I I'll, I would go skiing or I, you know, I go play golf and shit like that. You're or, a big golf guy. A little bit, you know. You I'm have not, to be if you're in the movie business in a way, right? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not great. I like to go out and have a couple of beers. I'm not really, you know, trying to, you know, get on a tour or anything like that. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, just basic shit. Like I go check out a game once in a while. Sports have become a little tough to watch because there was such an outcry for so many things that I'm like. I want to just watch a game and not have to have politics uh, in it, you know. You and, and that's the me. one thing that's bothered me. But other than that, I'm slowly getting into. It. What's great about it is that one of my close friends, his son is was the quarterback for Notre Dame. This guy named Jack Cohen, and uh, he's from Sable, and actually he was in Wisconsin for a couple of years. So this whole season was like watching Notre Dame football, and it was great. It was like I was getting like butterflies in my stomach watching, you know, my friend's son, who I know as well, and uh, and now it is a chance he make it drafted. So like. I That's found, a great I feeling. I found myself just so happy for my friend and and for the and for Jack and 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 all our friends are excited and all the people in Sable are excited because that's where the kids from, and uh, like that's kind of like you know like as you get older you realize you know what you like but more importantly what you don't like. It's true. You know, and that and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like I just I want to be happy. I want to you know I want to have the people I love around me as long as possible. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, it's funny how things change when you start getting a little bit older, right? You yeah. just start having a different view on life. Well, I have friends of mine that are like, you're getting, we're getting old, we're getting old. And I'm like, ah, listen, I'm in my prime. Like I told you before, I'm in my prime until my last breath. Yeah. So, you know, I'm happy to be this age as people that are young in their twenties getting inflicted with shit and, and things happen. So, you know, you, I'm a glass half full person, uh, at least most of the time. And I just think if people have that thought on things and the view on things just treat people the way you want to be treated it just makes your life easier yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah so all right so here we go so this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship carbine cangelosi absolutely brother very nice uh, yeah, to be here yeah i love it i gotta tell you man and 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 really before we go uh-huh. i'm gonna say this again i know that you're directing i know you're making these films uh-huh. and you had all of these top name actors mm-hmm. actors and actresses in american dresser but <laughs> i'm not just saying this because you're here you were the best actor of that movie. I disagree with that, but I appreciate it. I'm not kidding around. Yeah. You were, in my opinion, the best actor. And, and I'm talking across the board. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. But I will tell you a funny story quickly. Uh, a friend of mine uh, watched the film and and uh, was at the premiere. And and, he, and the scene you're talking about with the bartender with me and Keith, my friend comes up to me. He's a big Greek guy. And he's like, uh, he goes, I'm telling you, man. He goes, you and Keith David have chemistry. I'm telling you. And I'm like, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. Thank you. He's like, no, you don't say. He was like getting really like telling me I, you really have. I said, well, it's a lot easier when you give a really, really talented guy all the dialogue and you just got to have to hit your marks with them. And yeah. Kind of like I know my style of acting. I'm not going to be doing monologues on top of monologues. That's not the type of actor I'm actually interested in, in, in doing. But when you put yourself around talented people, Kind of helps you as an actor. Yeah, so I, I give. I, I appreciate the compliment, but I give all the other actors in the film all the credit. Yeah, and I me. love it. And absolutely. And again, American Dresser, Carmine Cangelosi. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And with that being said.
The Joe Cozo Show is a wrap. <laughs> Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. But that wraps it up for another edition of The Joe Cozo Show. <laughs>